Welcome to Andy, James, Pavan and Andre Talk Money Stuff. The information we discuss is not advice. We are not financial advisors. We have not considered your personal circumstances. Do your own research. Please listen to the full disclaimer at the end of the episode. Thank you for listening. So me, dickhead. China! How dare you! I drink your milkshake! I drink it up! Drink it up. All right, here we are, episode 42. Uh, Sunday, the 11th of June. And I saw, I got a notification on Spotify the other day. Maybe last week is our one year anniversary of releasing our first first episode. Yeah, right. When it was just you and you and me doing it. Yeah, yeah. Just James, recording on the phone. James jumped on um, pretty early into the piece and then yeah. Parlan came along and um, buggered off but still gets his name on the show. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> yeah I he think- really is the smartest out of all of us. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so... Um, but it seems quick, man. It still seems like a new endeavor that we're doing, but it's like time marches on, hey? Yeah, it's just I'm thinking of like more untrue things I can just make up as answers, but I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> so what's been going on with you guys? I'm sleep deprived, man. I'm yeah. just um, watching tennis and then the Champions League. It's just, you know, tennis is on like, you know, midnight, Champions League at five in the morning. Yeah. It's just killing me watching all these sports. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then you still got to do you still got to do parenting and stuff. Yeah, I, I guess I got to do that too. Yeah, no, we've had we've had sick kids. Oh, so are they coming to mug you, anyways? No, I got sick kids in the last week, so um, yeah, I've had to be at home and you know be around sick kids, and I haven't been in my own bed because they go in bed with their mummy, and um, yeah, I have to bugger off to one of their beds, and because I'm you know a bit tall, my yeah. feet don't fit in their beds properly, and then yeah. I don't have a very good <laughs> sleep. So yeah. That's yeah, it. bugger. But apart from that, life's good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how how investments are okay, uh, all good, or anything well, cool or exciting to talk about? I'm loaded up on those um, Australian dollar, Australian government bonds. Um, they finally went down. Um, I think I bought them. Oh, I can't remember. I'll find out. Eighty. I'm going to say eighty six or eighty seven dollars, and they're at like eighty two at the moment or eighty three. So because that was a surprise uh, rate increase, wasn't it, on Tuesday? Uh, As in. A week before, it, it didn't look like there was going to be a rate increase. Bond day. rates were going up and I spoke to someone who spoke to someone who's at one of the banks and, and that person was pretty confident rates would be going up. How long um, ago though? Oh, it was like three weeks ago. Oh, okay. okay. Um, yeah. That, yeah. So, I mean, just because one person at a bank thinks it, mm-hmm. but the person, it's like I think one of the people who's supposed to know that sort of stuff at the bank, so... I've I've heard some uh, forecasts of up to four point eight five getting the the cash rate up to four point eight five. What is it currently? Uh, four point one. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Because they I was watching a, an I think it must have been ABC and all the major banks were sort of they're forecasting four point three is mm. the max, mm. but they're allowing for like four point eight or oh, yeah, something yeah. as like a oh within oopsie, that yeah within an oopsie daisies yeah. like uh, if it goes super bad then. That's the sort of ceiling that they yeah. think it can do. Yeah, maybe that's what I heard. Um, so, so, oh, sorry, go. Oh, uh, yeah. It's just, I mean, I'm, I'm quite surprised, as in, uh, 
I I think things are going to break at some stage soon. I'm like surprised they haven't. Like, yeah, I bought I bought the Mike Bonds at eighty seven dollars and they're eighty two point four at the moment. Mm. Um, yeah, just because I I remember a few weeks ago I was saying I'm surprised the bonds haven't gone down in price with the rates going up, but that that's you know it's adjusted to that now. Um, yeah, I, I I have been thinking and acting too much on hi-fi equipment. So I've bought speakers and then I'm like, I don't like these speakers, so I'm going to sell them. And and I've noticed- You have done that to your Osbournes, have you? No, I'm keeping the Osbournes. Oh, I love okay. them. Yeah. Um, but um, I have these Kef R3 speakers yep. that I, I had bought from the shop and then like three weeks later get these Osbournes that I love and I'm just like, oh, I've got to get rid of the R3s now. And yep. uh, I, I, I sold them for, uh, I don't know, 25% loss or something after owning them for about a month and a bit. So that's a, it's a, a bad annualized return rate. <laughs> <laughs> it's more of like a rental expense. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But um, I've noticed that like trying to sell that sort of stuff, um, like, you know, the, the stuff I, I've, I've trying to move on because I've got better stuff. There's not much of a market for it. Like, you know, like you, you have to take much lower than you'd want mm. for some of these things and like i've gone on a, a a blog called stereo net where people trade hi-fi and yeah it seems like the, like people are lowering their prices and, and like a guy who was selling the same speakers as me like i was like how much did you get for them and he's like oh got like 1900 or something he's like no one's buying at the moment so i think that might suggest um you know slowing down my, my wife's got a business where she sells stuff um and yeah, she said that orders have just like dropped off massively in the last two weeks. Mm. So it's anecdotal, mm. but you know maybe that's saying something. Mm. Yeah, it just, uh, just, yeah, it just seems to me that there's been such a substantial increase that you know there must there must be an impact coming down the down the track, and I don't know when that's going to be, but I can't imagine that. I can't even imagine that rates will stay where they are mm. now. Like I mean, I. In the end, it, I mean that's all what the bond market seem to be showing as well that the you know rates will go down, but um, yeah, just it seems like it's having a substantial impact. Well, the bond markets, are, from what I saw, like the the interest rates higher on them, so the yield curve, if it's still inverted, mm. is a higher yield. Mm. Um, I don't know, like based on that, I wouldn't be surprised at all if we have another rate rise next month. Mm. We'll see what happens. But I think something has to break at some point. Like I was saying to my wife, like imagine you bought a, a place with a million-dollar mortgage and three years ago or, you know, two and a half years ago, you were paying like, you know, I don't know, I was going to say 35 grand a year, mm. you know, interest and, and principal. Yep. And now you're paying closer to 70, I'm, I'm guessing. Holy um, shit. Or yeah, 60 yeah, something. Yeah. It's like if you're a household who got a million dollars debt and like interest rates, I think they were gone from like 2% to 5 something percent. Like mm. it's it's a big increase. Yep. Like maybe my numbers are off on this, but. No, no, that, yeah. that, that, that sounds right. Because I mean, if, if you're paying a 2% interest rate and you're paying a bit of principal on top of that, so say 3 or 4% of the, you know, say a million dollar mortgage paying about 4%, that, that kind of number, 35, 40 grand a year, going up to say 70 or 80 sounds... Yeah. So, I mean, that that right. that, that has to be affecting households. Like, they I mean, can't I mean, not affect well, households. Yeah, I mean, households it's mustn't... Just, there mustn't be too many households with a 40 grand buffer. 
Yeah, it's yeah. And obviously not every household has a million. borrowed a million dollars yeah. and and all that sort of stuff too. So it might be you know the I don't know what the percentage is. Let's just say five for the hell of it. I have no idea. Let's say five percent of homeowners might be like you know really being pushed to the wall. Well, they're saying there was a stat I heard in the news. Uh, is it fifteen percent of the market is going to come off? Are they going to at the, the cliff jump? moment where all their rates all the fixed rates expire and stuff like that and then all of a sudden they're going to be in the doo-doo like i thought the fixed rates were already expiring though like i thought the peak was may or april but i I could be wrong yeah but they're still yeah that that that's that's true i think that's right it was like it's it's either been or it's around now the peak but they're still the second half of of Mm. all those Mm. fixed rate loans yeah i guess if it's a bell curve (laughs) then there's still half of it to go yeah so that's yeah. It's we'll see what happens. Um, oh, and the other thing is, when you when they expire, uh, you will then get a notice from the bank. You'll know all this. You'll know how long do they give you sixty days or something to or thirty days before the mortgage repayments. Okay, now you've moved from this rate to this rate. Here's your letter. Now you're yeah. I think I, I, yeah. It might not be. So they, yeah, so, it's like a month or something. I think I don't know. Maybe it's different from banks because mm-hmm. when I'm refinancing clients, I get them to send me their mortgage mm-hmm. stuff, and there's often a thing saying your rate will change in, you know, whatever it is, thirty yeah. days or something. I don't know. So with the, I mean, because the banks are the ones that give out the loans and figure out or whether or not you can pay them and mm-hmm. stuff. Do they know that they're putting you into Foxville? Or? Well, they're not putting you into Foxville. You're you're the one who's going to the bank and borrowing money, but yeah. they, they add a three percent interest rate buffer. So if yeah, I'm yeah. if I'm borrowing at a five percent interest rate, yep. the bank is actually assessing me and my ability to repay an eight percent interest rate. Mm-hmm. So the thing is though, if we've gone from like, you know, I don't know what they've gone from and to, but like we've gone, I think, up close to 3% already, so... Yeah, well, we were, like, the cash rate was at 0.1 and it's now at 4.1, so the... Yeah, okay, so we've gone gone 1% over the 3% buffer that they would have factored. Mm. So, and, like, it's outrageous how quickly the rates have gone up too. Like, it's it's, it's been a very sharp rate. Like, you know, it's like, was it 16 of the last 18 meetings has been rate rises or something? Yeah. It's insane. It's really common. I talk to people that are, like, selling investment properties left, right, and center. Yeah, right. And, um... And I was watching a, a, another news article where a, a single father, uh, with all the changes that will happen, he's got to come up with an extra $900 a week. That's huge. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. You can imagine if someone had a mortgage and an investment property or something, yeah. you could easily go, well, you know, I've got $1.5 million in debt or something like that. Yeah. Um, and then all of a sudden an extra 4% on that is mm. quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. We'll see, you know, the, the thing is as well, I, I, I've read forums and stuff like that with property investors and people, you know, playing the, let's just call it the devil's advocate, but just, you know, a common sense question. What happens when interest rates rise? And the typical smug response from the landlords is, we'll just raise the rates for the tenants, ha, ha, ha. Yeah. Like quite smug and other people have written like, you know, the attitude you have is very disturbing if yeah. you know, you're, you're the landlord and you kind of just laugh about, you know, putting this stress on the tenants and all that. Yeah. Not all landlords are like this obviously, but like you see some really smug um, stuff from landlords on some of these forums. Um, yeah, some yeah. of those horror stories on the northern beaches in Sydney, those old jalopy – apartments that are in really tip-top locations that used to be cheap for a long time and they've just stopped servicing these places and they've jacked the rent up by like 300% or whatever. And 
the, the thing that I don't understand is is that's not how market works. Markets work. It's, well, it's that's not, right. It's yeah. like if your if your tenants are unemployed, yeah, you can put the rent up. They'll just leave and move back in with their parents, or you know something like that. So like the whole idea with the interest rate rises, we'll just jack the rent up. Yeah. It's like yeah, why don't you just jack the rent up now? Yeah. It's like because yeah, they're saints, yeah. <laughs> you know. They're just trying to provide a community service. That's <laughs> but, why. But, but it's 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 like I mean, obviously there is there is a, an effect in that. So okay, rates go up, then maybe there'll be less people, you know, putting investment properties uh, out for let. Yeah, and then consequently, rental markets tighter, and consequently, rents will go up. That's that's the effect, but it's a flow on thing. It's not like the 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 landlord just decides what the the rent is. The landlord provides a rent that is, you know, equal to, to the market rent. Yeah. And otherwise, you don't get a tenant unless you want to lent it out for less than the market rent. Yeah. And I, I, most, you know, landlords don't let out the their uh, properties for less than the market rent. Why the hell would you I, do I, um, I have a, a tenant and I, I do it for less than market rent for that person and they'll never pay more than 80% of market rent because I'm a wonderful human being. So there you go. Yeah, I think uh, my mum's got a got a, a rental place, and um, I couldn't imagine having that. Like, maybe if you never met the person, but because the the rent that that gets charged there is like well below what what you see average on on websites and stuff like that. And they when they came to us for uh, to to you know put it up with CPI or whatever, you know there was discussions. Oh yeah, we should just jack it all the way up, but. It's like can't do it. Like, but the discussion between me and my mum was, can't really do it. Hey, it's like, it's uh, just doesn't doesn't feel right to just like jam it through the roof and put the the person in there into suffering or whatever. Oh, I mean, it's, it's 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 whatever, whatever makes you happy. I don't think there's anything wrong with putting it at market rate. Mm. That's market rate. But if you don't want to, you don't have to either. Mm. There is a, there was an interesting thing on uh, the business on ABC about um, there was a – I've forgotten who it was and the university was from, but – oh, yeah, no, it's ANU. Um, mm. I think he's from like Crawford School of Economics or whatever. F- forgotten the guy's name, something, Phillips. Um, uh, basically, he was showing the difference between um, advertised rents and what uh, renewing tenants were paying. What he was actually saying was a lot of the rental increases are actually – New properties on the market, uh, or or new new leases, and they're the ones that are really moving. But yep. uh, people in just renewing their rent are like the land, you know, the landlords are effectively just putting them up, you know, yeah, yeah, three, four percent, yeah, sort of yeah. thing, three, four, five percent. Mm. Um, so, uh, in effect, rents are going up that much if you're wanting to sign a new lease somewhere. Yeah, but if you're for most people who are just renewing, it's not actually as quite as scary as being, yeah. Uh, as you're seeing in the media, because there's a lot of stuff in the media that's yep. just like, if you, you have know, to re-enter, sort of exit and re-enter them. Well, yeah, because there's some rule, isn't it? You can't go up more than four percent in a year or something. There's something really weird that the ACT brought in. It's something like uh, you can't increase it more than one point one times CPI, which is which seemed quite a quite to to me. Uh, I mean, obviously, that's good if you're a renewing tenant, but it seems quite inflexible. Like, you know, if there was a market movement um, and you needed to, the the landlord was going to sort of catch up the rent to the 
market level over a number of years. It doesn't sound like they'd ever be able to catch up at 1.1 times CPI. Uh, how? Like if CPI is 4%, then, then you they do 4.4. Yeah. So how can they never catch up? Well, well, if so, let's say market rents moved about, you know, ten percent above what you were what you were paying. Oh, okay, the market rent exceeds CPI by a fair bit. Yeah, and yeah, does and, that then, a few and times then all of a sudden, yeah, it's like gotcha. if if that rent then keeps going up with CPI or wages, mm. and wages ends up being, you know, CPI plus one percent, mm. then mm. yeah, okay, yeah, fair enough, yeah. I guess you're just waiting until. The tenant leaves, um, and then when that tenant leaves, then you do the market rent. The 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 guy that you know that rents from me, he um he's a migrant with a a kid with special needs. So I um yeah, that that's that's part of the reason that the rent will never be hundred percent of market rent. I had a real estate agent saying, you know, you can get more, you can get more, and I'm trying to explain to him it's not about the money, like you know, and he's like just obsessed with yeah, the yeah. price. And eventually, like I explained it, and he still didn't get it because he's a real estate agent. Yeah, yeah. And then his wife was like, he's not doing it to make money; he's doing it to help the person out. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, okay. Look, and 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 in in your case, that's uh, seems sensible as well because it's it's a little bit beyond because it's a close rental situation yeah yeah that that it is actually good to have a regular like you're not having a new tenant every yeah that's something you don't living living so close to me yeah Yeah. one thing i have noticed observing uh the the rental income statements from from mum's joint is that they're actually quite expensive to run just in terms of operating costs like all the rates and repairs and all that sort of stuff land tax yeah land tax it's like real estate agent takes seven percent or something yeah typically and, as well and, and like very rarely do you do you have a month where all the rent comes to you yeah, yeah it's like sometimes it's like i've never seen it go backwards but it's like almost broke even quite a few times mm. and it's uh yeah because I, I reckon from my rough numbers you know obviously i get to look at balance sheets in my yeah. job and stuff. But I reckon probably about just on an ongoing, say for a residential property, you probably, it's about a third of the rent ends up just going to pay, yeah. you know, bills that are things like rates, lands tax. You know, yeah. So if you've got a, a rental property with a, a 4% gross yield, your net yield it's will be something like that. And then interest on top of that, if you if you have debt for it, mm. Can can make your, you know, net yield negative. So in terms and of that's negative gearing. So. And, and so in terms of the, you're relying on the growth of the, the price of the property. Yeah, for which, it to be which a valid investment. Well, yeah, and that's that's always been problematic for me. Mm. That um, like you know, I'm not saying it's the greater full hypothesis or whatever, but you kind of are saying, I'm holding this until someone is willing to take this on the surface bad business proposition and pay more than I paid for this mm. on the surface bad business proposition. If prices don't go up, it's a terrible idea to hold property under those circumstances. Mm. So it is premised, you know, these negative yield properties, these negatively geared properties, it's premised on prices going up. Um, and I, I think we'll find, you know, that prices don't always go up. Mm. And, and you might see with interest rates going up that more people were – looking to get out and less people are looking to get in and that might well, affect prices. Get out of? Uh, out of owning an investment property, say. Yeah. Because they're, they're 
uh, more negatively geared and all of a sudden if it looks like properties aren't going up in value, then it's like, why are you holding this thing? You're just paying out. Even though you get some tax deductions, you're paying out and the thing's going down in value. So you're losing on the cash flow and you're losing on the appreciation. Um, you know, for a lot of people, that's like, a what, what's the point of this thing? If we weren't taking in migrants, we're in Australia, by the way, for the international audience, if you can't tell by our accents. But if we weren't taking in migrants, I, I would expect a pretty significant pullback in property prices. The... The supply demand migrants increase the demand, um, and then interest rates, in theory, should decrease the demand. So you've got a negative thing with interest rates, and then you've got a positive thing with migrants. Um, and and I think that's why we haven't had bigger drops in property prices because of the migrants. So so what happens when we go? Okay, uh, the economy is now slowing quite substantially. And, uh, and we go, oh, unemployment's going up. Oh, actually, we don't need the same level of immigration. Yeah, I mean, that's – I wonder if that's a second-order thing of AI, for example. You know, if, um, if, if AI takes all these jobs and, and we do have big unemployment in the, in the white-collar sector when our ideal migrants are white-collar migrants, what happens then? So, well, that, that is actually an interesting um, – yeah, because, you know, a lot of the time people look to the past to see – you know, to sort of believe what that, what will happen in the future. Mm. But if you did have a situation like, for instance, there was a a you know an AI um, you know AI systems were coming in and they were actually um, uh, you know taking inverted commas jobs. Yeah. Um, uh, then you know you could have a situation where you know m- having a migration system goes from you know where you get your labour from to actually more people coming in is not a helpful thing because yeah. the, you know, we've already got unemployed people and, mm. and we've got, you know, spare resources. Um, so yeah, what would that, that could change the dynamics of the property market if immigration has been a major factor in terms of yeah. capital appreciation. So do, yeah. do you think AI will replace people or it could make people like super productive? So I had I had uh, my first experience with ChatGPT in uh, the uh, last week. I was doing a, a uni assignment and um, so my, my boss was mucking around with it actually and he, he experimented writing a, uh, a, a company vision. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, oh, just put in all the specifications, you know, or it's going to be training school for this, blah, 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 catering to this cohort. And it spat out the most like clean, nice look bit of writing that I'd that I'd seen. It sounded like something he would write, and I was yeah. like, except that, you know, it comes out in like two seconds. Yeah, yeah. So I was I was writing this uni assignment and I, I, uh, it was on ethical climate you know, using uh, Goldman Sachs, <laughs> abusing their analysts oh, yeah. as, as the case study. And um, – all right, what makes for an ethical work climate? Uh, um, please provide citations in APA 7. Press enter and like comes out with like six different points with two citations each. And all the citations were – all the articles and the authors were the ones that I was already reading in my university library. I was like, holy shit. Except the – and then so what I did is I got those articles and then put them into the university library so I could actually read them. Super relevant, yeah. super like yeah. you know. Actually, the, the quotes were well placed and all that sort of stuff. And I reckon it saved me like a day of reading, uh, doing that in like 
30 seconds. Wow. You know? So imagine if you had someone like super smart doing some highly specialized way that knew how to fly this thing. I'd imagine it could make someone very, very productive. Yeah, did did calculators make engineers more productive? You know, like did chainsaws make people who cut trees down more productive? Yeah. They yeah, did. Yeah, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean engineers cease to exist. It doesn't mean the people who cut down trees and, you know, what are they? Except the yeah. horse people in cars. They got yeah. fucked, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, 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 maybe they became cabbies. Like, yeah, but, but, is, is that where the word cab comes from? Uh, a, a carriage, a cab, something like that? Probably. Yeah, right. I don't know. I'm guessing. Yeah. Probably. Probably, Probably, yeah. Um, what's, that, what's that song about the lumberjacks? They, they sleep all night and they – they work all night and they sleep all day or something, you know? Yeah. Wear high heel suspenders and a bra. And <laughs> what? Monty Python. The Monty Python Lumberjack song. If you guys don't know that, it's a worthy song to listen to, the yeah. Lumberjack song. Yeah. Don women's clothing, just like my dear old mom. Dear <laughs> Papa, yeah. Um, yeah. I wish I was a girl, just like my dear Papa. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, the Lumberjack song. The point is that the jobs still exist. They, they become more productive. Uh, like the chainsaw is probably the most productive like biggest productivity increase mm. ever invented, yeah. like as a tool. I can't think of well, maybe Chat GTP, whatever it's called, will but be. AI in general, is such a hot topic. Like huh? washing machine, the washing machine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and that, maybe that beats a chainsaw. I don't know. Chainsaw is pretty impressive, but but, but it, it does it does like obviously. But that 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 point is is correct in that you know if you make people more productive, the first thing is you can do. Um, you know, do more with less people and, that, and you go, oh, okay, well, that will mean you le- need less people. But it also mm. means that you can reduce your prices and obviously mm. if you're providing a service of some sort, if you can provide it at a lower cost, there'll be more demand for that. Yeah. It shifts the, shifts the um, you know, the, uh, you know, you can increase the supply of it because yep. it's at lower cost and, um, you know, and there'll be more demand for it. I'll yep. tell you who um, will make a killing out of this. Um the people who own the work of artists, so like whoever owns the Marvel franchise, whoever owns the Disney franchise, whoever owns these like, you know, big franchises with like characters and even like, you know, the the voice rights to, you know, Slim Shady or whatever, Michael Jackson, all of that. If you own that, hey, chat, chat GPT, um, make an Elvis song involving blah, blah, blah and with Elvis' voice. And it's like, you know, you own, I'm assuming you own mm. all of that. Like if I, if I say I'd make a Kanye West song, right, with with chat GPT mm-hmm. um, and play it, Kanye West might say, no, you don't have the rights to my voice. Like you can't do that. But someone has the rights to that stuff. And if it's based off his previous works mm. or whatever, like if it's using intellectual property that already exists someone can say that's that's drawn and derived from my intellectual property therefore you can't use it Mm. but someone owns the rights to like these artworks Mm. and that person like you know tupac we can have a couple more tupac albums Mm. and as if people wouldn't buy tupac albums again did you see when they did the, the hologram of him at that music festival yeah that was so dope yeah yeah it really was like I was like he's back. <laughs> <laughs> Some people think he's the best rapper of all time, James. All right, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but um, uh, yeah, no, that is interesting. Uh, yeah, like uh, artists, and even even like you can imagine if you're making movies. I mean, can you just can you just make movies without actors and, and- exactly? You can augmented reality. 
Well, they're not all made reality. Sorry, like the Tom Cruise thing. Like, have you guys seen that fake Tom Cruise AI thing where he's just acting like a weirdo? I sent it to my mom. So I sent this thing of Tom Cruise acting like a weirdo to my mom. And she's like, yeah, he's always come across it. And I, was, I sent it and I'm like, you need to be aware of people scamming you with AI. You know, it's getting easier and easier to like, you know, fake things these days. Yeah. If I ever call you asking for money, it's not me. Yeah, yeah. Um, and sent that to her and she didn't read the whole email. She just clicked on the link and then wrote back. I always found Tom Cruise to be a bit weird and this behavior just proves it. And I was like, no, that's like AI. That wasn't Tom Cruise. That's, and she's like, what? I'm like, that's the point I'm making that yeah. the fakes are so good these days. Yeah. And no, and I think that's, that's exactly, because obviously we've got hours and hours of our voice recordings on these podcasts. Mm. And yeah. so anyone, anyone, and people are doing podcasts all over the place, mm. publicly available. Mm. Um, uh, you know, there must be, you know, massive amounts of recording where, where the, you know, the, someone's voice can be simulated and then a phone call can be made and, you know, to someone and then, you know, scam takes place, etc. Mm. Um, and it might be very, very cheap to, have an AI system just scan the internet, get all the people on podcasts, and and find someone's phone number that's connected with them, and stop giving him ideas, James. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right though. You're right. Absolutely. And you can make people do cancel culture on themselves. Yeah. <laughs> just get on, say the N word, and do all crazy stuff, and yeah, blow themselves up. Yeah, the N word is nickel because um <laughs> the the London metal market tanked the nickel price, so in finance terms, the N word is nickel, right? Mm. Remember that when the London Metals Exchange tanked the nickel price because um, some Chinese um, yeah. trader was underwater? Yeah. yeah, so you can't go to the, the London Metals Exchange and say the N-word. You get in big trouble. Mm. But, like, <laughs> but yeah, like AI just seems to be so like hot topic at the moment. Like governments are talking about it. Uh, and I was like, I saw that all the a combination of, of people thinking AI is awesome plus the debt ceiling thing, all the indexes bumped up. Over the last couple of weeks, like the the S and P was at on Friday was like forty three hundred. Did you see the? I think it was like the S and P five hundred X. The like five large AI stocks. Mm. Um, it's like done nothing. Yeah, and like the it, but the whole index has been moved by these large cap. Tech. Yeah, yeah. Nvidia in particular yep. was. I, I have have um thought for a couple of years now that like say a company like Google gets really good at AI and they have a clear advantage, they'd have enough money to then be a participant in the share market with AI. Mm. So then Google becomes a trading house with its AI out trading everyone else if the AI can do that and just take yeah, That was my question. Does, does, does AI replace replace people and then become the markets become like super efficient well i mean well, well again but then what's the point of the market like, just like, robots trading with each other like the, that that chess player um i know some carlson norwegian guy magnus carlson yeah so whatever it was like i remember reading about this you know years and years ago ai stuff um before it was on on trend and the 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 book argued that um the the best chess player is a human that uses ai and chooses when to listen to it and when not to listen to it. And for most moves, he pretty much just does what the AI says. Mm. But every now and then, he's like, no, nah, I'm doing it this way. Mm. And human plus AI, they're called centaurs, in chess, at least when the book was written, would beat AI. So it, it, at, at, that, at the point of time the book was written, which was probably like six years ago, mm. the strongest combination in a brain-related task 
if you call chess brain related, I question whether it is, um, is AI plus person. So, so that was a situation where uh, AI beat person, but person plus yeah. AI beat AI. Deep Blue beat Kasparov, I think, yep. in the first yep. big thing where AI beat a person. Yep. Um, that I think, was a long time. That was in the 90s, wasn't it? Yeah. And then I think Kasparov said, but you know, that AI got to study me. I never got to study the AI. I'd want, I want to see the AI's games yeah. and have another crack. I can't remember what happened after that. Um, yeah, anyway. So, yeah. AI beats human. Human plus AI beats AI. Yep. And beats human. Yeah, so we're just waiting for AI plus AI beats human plus AI. Oh. AI. <laughs> I was, then you just stack up the AIs on top yeah. of that. I was doing a bit of like doomsday fantasy stuff where like imagining like chat GPT plus all this AI stuff plus that Boston Dynamics robot that can oh, yeah. fucking throw cinder blocks at people and do like spin flips off off the top of is shipping containers a- Atlas? And stuff. Is that the one that looks Maybe. like a human? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah there was one. Yeah, it's yeah. like there's a, a guy. He's like a sort of – it's like a mock setup. He's yeah. like a tradie on top of some scaffolding. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's like, hey, give me that. And he like throws a tool up yeah. to him and yeah. climbs up. Yeah. And then he runs off the edge. I forgot what he runs. He goes to the edge of something, maybe like a box or a container, and then does like a front spin flip. <laughs> keeps walking. But, uh, yeah, I think that stuff's scary as. Um, you know, Terminator 2 was my favourite movie when I was a kid. Like, you don't forget that sort of stuff. And all the doom, all the stuff they talk about, it's like literally they've got drones that fly around and all that sort of stuff. Mm. And, uh, yeah, uh, my sister was telling me uh, about a story that her, her partner actually said that it was fake news, but there was like a war games simulation thing with drones oh. and that the um, they had like a uh, – they had one person in the experiment that could shut it off if um, in case things got out of hand and after a while when it learnt uh, what was going on, it, it just kept trying to attack the person. Oh, my mum was talking about this the yeah. other day. But apparently that's bullshit though, right. like oh, fake news. Because the, the uh, follow-up on that, and, I, and again, I don't know, but it was, it was like a colonel or something, in, the, in wasn't it, that, that was making – and then there, who was – who would, Oh, so it is that, real. No, well, it was a real military person who stated that, but yeah. then I don't know. This, this, you know, check the story because this is not quite right. But it was something like the Pentagon came out and then went, "Oh, I don't know. This is all just a, a simulation or something. It's not, not, not on actual." Ah, right. Um, but, but the, what happened was after that, which was quite interesting, because it was something to do with basically the the um, predator drone or whatever it was mm. um, had was getting points for hitting targets. Yep. And so its goal was hit the target, mm. get the points. And so what it worked out was that the uh, the person giving the order to hit the target, once they'd given the order, they would sometimes retract the order because they'd got some more information. So what they, the the system would then go, if it got an order to hit it, it would then hit the, hit the person who would give the order so they couldn't – then retract the order, ah. and then and then so they they basically there was some reprogramming or something so that it would get zero points for if it attacked the person who mm. giving the order. So what it would do then is attack the communication equipment that allowed the order to be provided to them. So so that once it got the order to hit it, it would attack. So it couldn't get an order which said no, don't do it. Mm. And then go and hit the target. After. Makes me think of That's an autistic person. It's literally Skynet, isn't it? Or, or it makes me think of like someone with autism. Mm. It's like you know, you give them a, a problem, and they're going to come up with this like really non, mm. like it, they'll come up with an out of the box yeah. solution. Yeah. yeah, and it's just like you never would have thought about that because you know we have all these 
um, I guess, the conventions and rules that we apply to this situation that, you know, they might not. Yeah. But, but I mean, the, the, like you said, it is, it's Skynet because Skynet, you know, Skynet, mm. uh, its enemies, it decided with the, with the people who were going to shut it down in mm. the United States. And so it worked out that it could launch nuclear weapons at Russia mm. and Russia would reply. Mm. And that, so the Russians would, would, or the Soviets would, would kill the. Do we need to do a quick Terminator synopsis for anyone listening? They should just watch it. You should like watch really Terminator, should, especially yeah. the first two. Yeah. Well, absolutely. I'd say the first two are essential viewing. They go a bit dog shit after that. <laughs> um, especially the last one where they went to, to uh, there was like diversity Terminator. There was <laughs> fucking shit ass. <laughs> but um. Uh, yeah, I, I I think I might have seen the third one, but I don't know. I, yeah, what number two was like I, that was just like the best thing ever when I was a kid and saw that. Dude, it's the nexus of so much like right stuff at the right time, like just the right amount of computer graphics, awesome music, Arnold Schwarzenegger, everything. It was, yeah, yeah. It was the best. And the line, yeah, the Arnie lines. And- yeah. Yeah, and then years later, Edward Furlong goes on to become like a massive racist. And what happened? American History X. Oh. oh in that oh, other oh. movie. Yeah. They're yeah. actors, it's not really them. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Um, so, I was wondering, I guess it's kind of backtracking a little bit, but um, – I saw a, a finance report from ABC where they talked about there's 66 millionaires in, in Australia that paid no tax to the ATO um, and, and, and then a little bit more on what's driving inflation. So it's a two-minute video. I was hoping I'd show it to you yep. guys and you react to those two points. Sounds good. Okay. Uh, the Reserve Bank has been oh, hiking shit. interest rates Excuse to try me. to- Let's go back to the beginning. The Reserve Bank has been hiking interest rates to try to tame inflation. And the key Barney has been, what's driving it? In February, the Australia Institute produced this research, suggesting that most of what's pumping up inflation is corporate profits, not wages. People lost their minds. Documents obtained by the Financial Review coughed up a Treasury report that called it flawed. There was criticism from the Reserve Bank and that echoed loud denials from business groups. So it's capital A awkward that the OECD has backed it up in research about the role of profits on inflation. Notably, big results for our miners do have an impact on the figures. But the globe-spanning organisation is headed by our own Matthias Cormann, who, as a former Liberal Finance Minister, was more likely to be on the other side of the fence. Markets in Japan leapt on a tip that its biggest brewer Asahi was going to buy a South Korean beer giant even though it didn't happen. The Japanese yen has been losing steam against our dollar in the past five years. It levelled off today. While the value of iron ore rocked up 3%. Sorry, the million bits. Our share market up today, but down slightly over the week. And 66 people who earned an average of $14.5 million in the 2020 financial year paid no tax to the ATO, not a cent. They could have incurred big losses, made massive donations to charity, or paid a firm like PwC to structure their affairs so that they legally pay no tax. Meanwhile, inflation is smashing households, taking food out of people's mouths, and almost a million people, a record number, are working multiple jobs. And that's finance. So I don't like um, 66 millionaires earned $14.5 million and didn't pay tax, you pay tax on earnings. So it's like they might have had income, 
and then they had losses, which means they earned nothing. So that the, the the use of the word earnings I don't like there because it seems technically incorrect to me, and then the taking food out of people's mouths line as well. Uh, yeah. Like just tell, I'll, I'll form my own opinion. Just give us the bloody information. I don't I don't like that. It's editorialising in 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 a news thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm um, also he stole my PwC joke because I was going to say were they the sixty six guys at PwC <laughs> who were sending the emails out? So. Yeah, three, three, three strikes, buddy. Yeah, but go. Oh, I was going to say. I mean, I, I echo that in that. Um, it's yeah. I don't. I don't. When you don't get the information about why that was, mm. it's kind of like, oh, it could be this or that. So it's like, well, it could be quite legitimate sort of business investment. Like, say, for instance, if you're a miner, you might lay out a huge amount of of capital. Mm. Um, in order to, you know, find a, a you know, a deposit, you know, uh, create a, a mine and you've got to, got to dig down to a certain level. You, you know, you've spent, you know, millions and millions of dollars um, and then you start getting that, the resource. Mm. And, and obviously in the year that you hit that, you know, seam of whatever, you know, copper or whatever it is, you, I don't know if copper comes in seams, but, you know, <laughs> like gold seam or something yeah. like that, then, um, uh, you know, your cash flow is going to be great. Um, yeah. and your, you know, as Andy said, inverted commas profit. Well, is that profit? Because, you know, you've, mm. you, you might've made a loss so far on this mine, mm. but, um, the, you know, the costs, you, you know, your cash flow in that year is going to be very positive. Um, so it's, it's hard to know, you know, what does that actually mean? Are we actually talking about people who've, who've made big losses in the past on something? And it's 66 times 14 and a half million or maybe it's more than 14 and a half million but let's yeah I think they said at least 14 and a half million on, on average yeah well, on average okay so a hundred million dollars of income wasn't taxed a bit more billion 66 times 14 isn't that oh yeah yeah billion <laughs> so a billion a billion of income yeah. wasn't taxed it's like you know I don't know how much the national income is but like how much has the government wasted in that fi- in that same financial year? Um, you know, flying to meetings that they could have done on the internet and, and, and various things like that. So, I mean, like, yeah. I thought it was 100 million because my math is bad. But, yeah, it's like, yeah, a billion dollars in tax. Like what, what about PwC um, and what they're doing? I mean, what about ism? You're not supposed to do what about ism, but we don't know the full story. Yeah. It's in accordance with tax law from what we understand. Yeah. So, you know. Oh, it's, it's, it seems like it's one of those things that like let's let's blame the rich. Yeah. Now the the thing about corporate profits um, being a big factor in inflation, I think we we had had read that um, months ago mm. and might have talked about it mm. on this show mm. um, as a thing. And I mean, one one question is the sustainability mm. of corporate profits, mm. but. Um, you know the, the the company's job is to make money for its shareholders, right? And if their profits are really big, in theory, uh, other companies emerge to compete with them, and the profits go down. If you have situations where there are monopolies and that competition can't emerge, then they can continue to have sustained high profits mm. because these companies have moats. The, the kind of companies Warren Buffett and I would like to invest in would be the ones that can have sustainably high corporate profits because competition can't come to join them. So instead of blaming 
the I don't know. It seems blaming it, it. It seems like it's like pointing at these sixty-six people as if that's the problem. But maybe the problem is is bigger than that. Maybe, maybe the problem has to do with the fact that when COVID happened, small businesses weren't allowed to trade, but big businesses were. Maybe that's why. Um, you, and and that, and that kind of attitude from government that allows monopolies to occur in some cases, and and even had policies that um, fattened up monopolies. Mm. So it's it's you look at the end of something, but it's like how do we get there? How do we, how do we get to this situation where corporate profits are, are causing inflation? And is it is it the fault of the businessman, or is it the fault of policies that allowed the business to, to get that fat in the first place? And you, because in a free market, in theory, and maybe it doesn't always work this way, but in theory, competition stops the business being so fat. But we have governments who say to operate in a particular business, you have to meet all these compliance and regulations, which is an obstacle to competition, and set policies during COVID that like were extremely harmful to b- things that weren't big businesses. Woolworths was allowed to open, but you know, Spiros Yaninakis's um, corner shop wasn't allowed to open. So yeah, yeah. feel for you, Spiros. Yeah, no, no, I agree. With, I agree. With that. I mean, it's, it's um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, I think there is sort of broadly in a long term sense a there has been a decrease in profit share of the economy going to wages versus profit share going to or, or sorry, you know, the share of the economy going to to profits. Um, so, um, you know, that then that's kind of like a long term thing. But I, I'm quite skeptical about. Um, okay, well, hang on, company profits went up. Well, you know, if you want to, if we're having a situation where there's not enough supply, and that's what's causing inflation, if company profits won't go up, you'll never fix the supply problem mm. because they they won't expand their production if they're not making any money. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's do we do we demon do we demonize capitalism and 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 blame that, or uh, or do we or do we look at other factors like you know government? Um, well, I don't. We don't have a free market. Like maybe that's the issue that we don't have a free market. We, 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 you know, we say we're from you know the Western world with free markets, but they're not free markets. There's there's interest groups. Like say you want to become a plumber, mm. right? Like what four years to become a plumber? Sparky's like I, I, I was talking to someone um, degree at university for electrical engineering, and has to do a four year apprenticeship to become a Sparky. Does it really take that guy four years to learn how to do that? Like, you know, there's, there's a lot of um, the AMA, um, you know, doctors in Australia. You have to get like some crazy ass high, um, you know, TER or UAI to get into medicine, unless you're from the country or maybe like, you know, Aboriginal or whatever. Um, they limit the numbers, mm. right? You know, I'm sure they say they're not limiting the numbers um, and they're doing it for the, you know, good of society. But we have an undersupply of doctors in certain areas and, and we have a body that limits the supply of doctors, mm. Like there are so many things that, uh, uh, in my opinion, they look like um, protection rackets for for the people who are already there, mm. and in, no, not a free market as far as that goes. And with the doctor thing, right? So if you need a ninety nine ti to become a doctor, and without that, you're not going to be a good doctor. Then anyone who got in through one of these rural things with a tr of eighty, yeah, yeah, well, they can't be a good doctor then, but they pass medicine. And you don't, when you go to doctor, say, hey, what grade did you get in your medical exams? Do you, do you know what you call someone who got, you know, a, a, a borderline pass mark in their medical exams? Doctor. 
So, like, you know, this idea that you need 99 to get in, even though we know for a fact you don't, because we call people doctor who got way less than 99, open up the numbers. Lots of protection. So that still happens in, in a medical degree. P's make degrees, sort of thing. Of course. Well, it's, it's P's make degrees everywhere. But the, the point is, there are these things where you can't. You know, you have to. You have to do um, entrance exams. Um, you have to do interviews to become. You know, some of these things. Or you know, you need to. You need to do an apprenticeship under someone who's already done it. Like all these things limit the supply, right? Yeah. And push the price up, and then. It's always big businesses who want more regulation in their industry. Mm. You never have um, a business that's run by mom and dad who are working 60 hours a week saying, we need to have a bigger administrative burden um, to make sure we're not scumbags. But you have businesses who have historical form of being scumbags saying, we need to spend more money industry-wide on regulation to regulate us not to be scumbags. Mm. And all it does is means the guys who can afford the regulation and the admin staff get, get, get their thing. So they, they might make um, more work for themselves, but they also eliminate competition. And, you know, I, I don't think all of this is accidental. So, mm. yeah, there's, we don't have free markets. I, I agree. I think there is a lot of um, additional education stuff that is actually not, not very um, – uh, helpful in terms of, you know, increasing productivity. It's just education. Oh God, I'm I'm doing um uh oh, diploma, diploma in mortgage broking, right? Yeah. And is that through like like the sort of AQF like like Australian Vocational? Sort yeah, something like that. I'm doing it with an online provider. Um, eight units. I got advanced standing for five of the eight. Hmm. So unit six was on mortgage brokerage related stuff. Units seven and eight are on managing staff, running a business and health and wellness, right? The amount of finance courses I've done where a quarter of it has been on running a business and health and wellness, it's like, and because I get advanced standing for a bunch of them, I'm pretty much just repeating stupid health and wellness stuff constantly. Mm. How's that going to make me a better mortgage broker? Knowing to do, you know, how do you manage health for staff? Um, Get them to do stretches every hour and go for a walk and not look at a computer screen. Yeah. Whatever. It's like, you know, I'm not a bloody, you know, medical expert. Yeah. And like a lot of this stuff on health and wellness, like, you know, fad diets and stuff like that turns out to be not health and wellness a couple of years later. Yeah. But this is, you know, junk I'm supposed to be wasting my time on to, to get signed off to do my job properly. It's like nothing to do with what I do professionally at all. Yeah. And I've done it so many times with these various finance qualifications I've got. <sighs> so... You know what really grinds my gears? No, no, I'm really, <laughs> no. Same thing on that. In terms of obviously, I'm I'm not a financial advisor, but I was qualified. Did a, you know course? You know to be a financial advisor in 2007. So I was qualified in 2007. Uh, they then kind of went, oh no, no, that's not going to be enough. Do something else. Um, so I did the something else. Uh, and then they went, oh, actually, well, well we're gonna we're gonna lift the bar again. So. That one's not good enough. So now I'm doing like another thing. Um, not that I actually have to do it for my job, but um, is this in response to like the the criticisms of the industry or? Um, yes, yeah, and, and and to be to be fair, there was a low barrier to entry. Yep. But I I, I think the problem is that they um they just needed to they needed to tier it better. They they needed to go. Yeah. Okay, well, you've got a low qualification. You can only give advice on these yep. lower level things instead yep. of going. Now you need this super duper qualification. Like you know, you know, you need to 
postgraduate, um, you know, course now to actually, you know, do some pretty basics. Like if someone comes in and wants to invest ten thousand dollars into mm. a balance fund, that's right. Like, well, you need a, a you know, not only a degree, a postgraduate degree to, mm. to um. Yeah, if you, like you could do undergrad financial planning, but obviously if you've already got a degree, you're going to do postgrad. And what's that, $50,000 maybe more to give the exact same advice you're giving a couple of weeks you know, before you got the degree? But mm-hmm. now you've got to pass that cost on, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, so anyway, we don't have a free market um, and these things that come out oh, – ABC's you know, government, by the way. Government pays for ABC. So this thing that comes out blaming not the government for the situation, well, there you go. <laughs> the government run thing blaming not the government for the problem <laughs> it sounds like friendly Geordies he actually yeah. had a really good uh, video uh, I guess I'll watch it in more detail but uh, the, from what I saw he, he was talking about inflation and cost of living and stuff like that and gave it the usual friendly Geordies treatment it was quite funny but but it seemed pretty interesting So, but yeah I'll check it out next week and talk more about it then um, so James, you you forwarded a few points there. There was a, a report on gold in gold in gold we trust, twenty twenty three. What were the uh, main takeaways from that one? I'm going to guess that it's saying gold's a good investment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so um, there's a picture of Puan on the front. What the hell? No. <laughs> What's his name? Struffley? You know? I don't know. I, oh, I don't. I don't um, read much stuff on gold. Oh, I, I was okay. a gold bug. In the 2008, 2009, 2010 kind of thing, and um, I'm not a gold bug at all. I feel like this uh, f- this uh, picture that's so, on the front's a bit racist. There's on one side of a gambling table, there's a big <laughs> pile of chips, and there's an Arabic-looking guy, a Chinese guy, and a Greek or Cypriotic-looking guy. He looks guy. like the that, Mexican. That, that is actually the story, though. He looks he looks like yeah. the guy that um, does the ad for the beers. He's the most interesting man in the world. You know that? I don't always drink whatever it is, but when I do, I do. I, so, so, yeah. so I'll, t- I'll tell you the story just from yeah. – uh, no, no women. Oh no, actually, that's uh, uh, Lagarde, isn't it? Yeah. So, so on. Yeah. So Christine Lagarde. Um, who else is it? Uh, I, I don't. I don't know the other. The other. Play. Is that? Is that? Um, Kenny Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what's the cover? So, so, so ba- basically, this is called In Gold We Trust Report Twenty Twenty Three, and it's like a thing saying so, so showdown, and it's got in, people at a poker table. Is the, is the Incrementum. Yeah. Um, th- this comes- is, is what's Incrementum? Oh, it's a company that- uh, Look, I don't- Incrementum puts out this in gold we trust report. That's yes, what you're saying? Yes, so if people yes. need to find it, and maybe we'll have a link on the podcast if Andre's yeah. doing yep. something. Yeah, I'll, if, I'll put the link in, in the show notes. If you trust report, comes up. Yeah. Comes up um, uh, but basically, so, so Ronnie Stroffley, that's it. Um, uh, basically, um, the interesting thing with that with that cover is that it's basically showing that the- um, I guess the old sort of Western countries, um, and the BRICS. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, what's happening is is that the BRICS are accumulating large amounts of of gold, um, and they've got some some charts and stuff in there of 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 their um, uh, you know, gold accumulation, um, and um. You know the old, I guess you know, Western Europe and United States, etc. Are um, you know their their gold holdings have been falling. I mean they've stabilised a bit now, but they've been falling for for decades and decades. Um, so there's kind of this shift from you know and you've 
Andy obviously talked about the BRICS before, about their, their potential for having their own um, sort of, I guess, uh, reserve currency. Um, and, you know, it, it looks like that they are, uh, you know, using, I guess what the report is suggesting is that the golds are, that these, the BRICS are kind of backing their currencies with gold reserves. Yep. Well, maybe not directly backing them, but they are yep. accumulating the gold reserves in order to, um, you know, uh, provide an alternative uh, currency. Yeah, you know, I wonder why they don't um, get reserves as something that's rare, but not as expensive. Hmm. Like um, platinum, I think might be rarer than gold. I think silver is rarer than gold. Hmm. I think. Um, Silver's not rarer than gold. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah. There's about eight times as much silver as. Oh, okay. I thought it was rarer than gold. So, what's the deal with palladium? Sorry to, to interject on that, but palladium and, and the fact that it's so valuable, people are still in catalytic converters. That's why it's valuable, I think, because it goes in catalytic converters and oh. um, yeah, environmental regulations and all that sort of stuff. Um, but like, surely there's some sort of element that they can get that is scarce and they can buy without well maybe they can't buy it without causing massive price movement maybe that's the issue but it's just like if you're coming up with a reserve currency on a thing that you can't print like maybe you could just find something cheap that is is finite like you could have a finite resource that no one uses like a really rare finite resource um like if i like let's just say i shaved no not my head um, I was going to say, if I shave my head, right, and each of those strands of hair, Andrew hair, um, that could be their thing. And it's like there's not that much of that going on in the world, but I guess I can shave it. I can print more by shaving it. But, yeah, something that's valueless but rare. But, but, and, what, but and then they could use that as their reserve thing because they can't print it. Isn't, isn't the issue here, there is already a, a market for gold, the, the, you know, the, well-established. Mm. Um, and so um, – and they they're also in a position to – um, to accumulate it, accumulate a lot of a lot of gold because the West is kind of not interested at all. Yeah, I guess because um, it's it's a big enough pool of gold that them loading up on it, um, each at their own pace, won't move the needle massively. Where if it was with some, you know, element that's really rare compared to gold, even though gold's quite rare, then one of them could just on the sly get it and then get all the element and then they own all the reserve currency. So that, that might be a reason why they're not doing it. Um, th- there, is a, there is a chart pack, um, which is probably better than the thing I actually sent. So if maybe just Google up in gold we trust and then it'll take you to the um, report. Yeah, and then, and then it'll take you to the page and then you click on that. And then if you... Roll down a little bit. There's Ronnie Stroffley, and then it's there's like who's a, Ronnie Stroffley? Oh, he's he's Is this the chart book here. Uh, Down, yeah, yeah. Try download that. latest that, chart that's book. That's just charts, so it's easier to kind of. Uh, so yeah. Um. So basically, um, he's he's round quite a bit. Um. He's he I, I he was recently on Macro Voices. Um. Two weeks ago, so he's 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 a big. Gold guy from I, I don't actually understand the you know the you know I understand uh, sort of incrementum does um, gold products so obviously this is in, you know self promotion to some extent um, but uh, it is it is quite an interesting 
report and it's quite a, and they've got quite a lot of information on various things that are that are happening so mm. um and what's the what's the takeaways you got from that report james what well i, I think the, what things the, would you share with our let's just, audience let's slip through a couple of charts just to to remind me that that i thought it was quite significant the j- just what we were saying there before about the bricks and the um uh you know their gold reserves growing while um, you know, Western Europe and and you know, I guess the developed world um, has been kind of reducing its gold reserves. Um, just flick down a little bit further because they might have that chart with the with the go a bit further. There's quite a few, aren't there? Um, so and and I mean. A lot of it was the the normal kind of gold stuff that you'd you'd get about obviously inflationary periods, but also talking about coming recessions and and uh, how gold performs in in various um, markets. Um, but uh, yeah, anyway, it, it's it's probably something to kind of have a have a look through because there is quite a lot of uh, information. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can prepare a bit better for next time. Yeah, cool. Uh, what else will we get? Uh, so, uh, some uh, American and British tanks have been getting destroyed. Yeah, yeah, that was that was uh, interesting. Looks like the Ukrainian. So tank. those Russian shitty tanks aren't so shitty. Well, it's, yeah, it's quite interesting in that. Um, so obviously, complete change of subject to the war in Ukraine. Oh yeah, I was going to say. I think I think googling um, the rareness of them. Yeah, it says that gold is out of gold, silver, and platinum. Gold is the rarest at um, 0.004 parts per million. Yep. Followed by platinum at 0.005 parts per million, and silver at 0.0075 parts per million. Um, crustal abundance of precious metals. So yeah, who knows? Maybe it was. Um, I'm probably just wrong, but I thought there was something surprised me about being rarer than gold. But maybe it was palladium that surprised Cause it, me because it might ago. be to do with investment market. Like the investment market for gold is, as I understand it, larger than the investment market for silver. But that if you're talking about amounts of silver, so um, yeah, the, the, there's the investment market would be bigger if it's like worth thirty times more than silver. Yeah, yeah, and and. Yeah, that's right. And there's there's only eight times as much silver, and a lot of that silver is used for industrial uses. So yeah. so it's kind of like, um, yeah, it's yeah. Well, I'm obviously wrong on the scarcity thing, but yeah, I had something in my head. It was either it's either palladium then that's rarer than gold. It's something that's silver in color, or um, before they went to the new world, silver was rarer than gold or something. I don't know what it was, but there's something that surprised me about the scarcity of a of a silver colored metal. Versus gold because it was cheaper than gold, significantly cheaper than gold, yet scarcer. And then in my mind, I was like, this is like when I was a gold bug. So it was like a decade ago. And in my mind, I was like, um, if if it's scarcer, how come it's not worth more? And then I guess that's a bit of a thing into, you know, what makes gold the thing, even though it's not scarcity, versus the other thing that's silver in colour that obviously isn't silver as it turns out. Anyway, back to your Ukraine stuff, please. Oh, well. <laughs> anyway, because uh, obviously the you've probably heard that the looks like the Ukrainian counteroffensive has begun. Yeah. Um, and we're just kind of like at the beginning of it. So re- Ukraine's being quite silent, although they're starting just to release some pictures of I'm stuff. surprised they've been – because they've been geeing up for it for like a month and telling people in the news. Wouldn't it be better not to tell people? 
Well, I think it's been obvious that there's going to be something. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was going to be they, they're going to, you know, they always use yeah. the summer. Yeah. To to attack. So it's going yeah. to there's going to be something, and it was. Um, well, maybe the confidence is scary. We're coming, bitch. Yeah. Um. And the what was the Kohovka Dam? That that looks to me related to the offensive stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, so who blew that up? So. What what have we all heard? I mean, I th- th- I heard that um, the Ukrainians did it, and then I heard that the Russians did it. So I heard that they they both did it together by the sound of things. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. So, so yeah, I, I mean, I've heard I, two two different arguments. It's like um, the the water. It's like who who benefits the most, mm. and the answer is Ukraine. And then it's like, you know, the water had been building up for ages, blah, blah, blah. And then this other thing saying, yeah, but because the Russians did X, Y, Z, that's why the water built up. So, yeah. Yeah, because some- I, I, I actually don't follow any of this anymore, so. So, with, with that, with the dam, I mean, to me, it looks more likely that it was the Russians. Um, I've heard various, various things in terms of the, you know, was it to the Ukrainian advantage, apparently, um, the- uh, Putting the river, letting the you know the river flood down through Kherson, um, basically, you know, took out a whole lot of Russian um, entrenchments and stuff on the um, on the eastern side of the of the Dnipro. Um, so, but it also looks like that makes it more difficult for the Ukrainians to, to cross the Dnipro. Yeah, um, and so that sort of limits their. Um, the front that they can attack on. Um, I've also heard stuff about, oh, well, you know, it could have only been blown up from, you know, internally and so But it's hard to tell anything what, what, what what's, you know, what's true, what's not true. Yeah. Um, in terms of going back to the, um, to the, I guess, the rest of the offensive, and I mean, the, the Russians have basically said, um, oh, you know, the, we've repelled the Ukrainian attacks. Um, the Ukrainians are, uh, providing some footage and information now that suggests that they are uh, making ground. It's not. It's nothing like the Kharkiv offensive where the Russians just kind of folded and and they made you know a whole lot of ground quickly. Mm. Um, just that it was interesting the the footage because I think that we have been kind of um, or you know some some of the coverage has been uh, look at all the all the Russian tanks getting blown up. <laughs> you know. For the last year and a half or whatever, yeah. but there was some footage of um, like German uh, leopard tanks and Bradley fight US Bradley fighting vehicles, yeah. which are obviously Ukrainian, yeah, Ukrainian owned, not yeah, being no sort of American or German crews or anything like that, um, Ukrainian army, um, but seeing you know they're modern. You know, leopard tanks supposed to be one of the best yep. available tanks in the world. Yeah, you know the Bundeswehr. You know that's their their you know fighting yeah tank um and obviously the americans use bradley fighting vehicles as you know the intro infantry you know fighting vehicles or whatever yeah um and there was some some footage that the russians released of them uh blowing up a number of a number of i think it was two leopard tanks and and a number of bradley fighting vehicles yeah um so you know the Ukrainians might find themselves in the same situation as the Russians were when they were advancing. In that, when yeah. the Russians were advancing, they were getting a lot of their their equipment blowing up, blowing up. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it might not just be a case of, oh, well, the Russians don't know what they're doing and they're just using old old equipment. It might be just 
the reality of modern war is if you're trying to advance with with tanks and fighting vehicles, you're going to get blown up. Doesn't matter how modern they are, how you know, you know, if they're you know, not a case may not be a case of Western weapons are better than Russian weapons or whatever. Yeah, but it'll be interesting just to see how that plays out because yeah. you know that was you know, I, I you know, I mean it was it was it was going to happen like mm. they were going to have you know losses, but. It's quite sort of in your face to see like these modern German tanks, yeah, um, and you know standard you know uh, U.S. military vehicles getting destroyed. Yeah, yeah, it's it's um it's it's interesting seeing all that stuff like the uh, the drone shots where they have the little drones and they drop grenades into the top of tanks and stuff. Yeah, it's uh, pretty full on. But one thing I was thinking, about, I was watching a story on the the submarine. I think it was Four Corners, maybe. Uh, on the um, on the the Australian submarine program and and how that's sort of you know panning out and things like that and just seeing a lot of uh, a lot of brand names that you see in, in indexes and stuff like that like the periscopes made by Tallers and <laughs> and you know Raytheon this and all I kind of feel like you know in the long term like potentially good places to park your money because there's just so much money flying around and it seems like we're always going to be doing war stuff. And yeah, I guess I've asked this question yeah, before, yeah, but it's, yeah, I was just thinking about it again. It's, it's, like, a, it's a hard one, isn't it? Because, I mean, to, to me, uh, to, to what extent is war a cyclical type? Yeah. You know, uh, you know, defence industry is cyclical. Obviously, there's a lot of stuff getting, you know, when there's a, you know, a war in Ukraine, there's a lot of stuff getting sent to Ukraine. Mm. That, Gets blown up and then yeah. you need more stuff. Yeah. Um. And then, but you know, you might have twenty years of peace, mm. and then you know, obviously, you know, there are certain measures that governments will put in place to make sure there's some production, etc. And they yeah. don't want to have their defence industry going, you know, bankrupt in peacetime. Mm. Um. But. Uh, yeah, it's 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 a hard it's a hard one, isn't it? Because I mean, and and you're also kind of stuck in that ethical issue. Where you're going, gee, it'd be really good if there was a war, so I could make some money. That's right. You've um, <laughs> you've loaded up on your your military stocks, and then there's a global peace. And you're like, oh. oh man, global peace. This sucks. <laughs> Why can't they just you know blow stuff up? Well, I imagine it'd be quite, like like even in a government sense, it'd be quite a hard thing to manage. Like of being satisfying your public that you're not a warmonger but like also not getting caught with your pants down mm. when 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 someone comes mm. I, mean, I think it might be a new phenomenon having to satisfy your public that you're not warmongers like, yeah you know, I don't think Sparta had that issue or Just chuck you in know, that big hole or whatever. Rome imagine imagine Julius Caesar we're not we're not an invasive force <laughs> <laughs> like doing you know one of those things where they get the tribute or whatever in those marches like you know they celebrated their invasions yeah, yeah but, but they weren't I, apologizing I, to anyone for that I, I think I think generally speaking though historically um, you know wars are costly so and they have to be funded so they're not they don't generally tend to be popular unless they're quick and victorious. Like if mm. you, if you don't win quickly, mm. that's a that's a, a negative thing. Mm. Um, mm. J- just flipping back to the on the flip side of owning sort of uh, you know military related yeah. companies. Um, you know, in terms of a portfolio, it might make sense in that in that you know. In same way as you might own gold, because mm. you know sometimes things go bad. Yeah, you know maybe maybe it is something that you hold as a 
as a hedge in the portfolio to go, yeah. well, you know, wars are a bad thing yeah. and this will affect these other industries yeah. negatively that I'm yeah. holding stocks in. Um, so maybe if I hold this, you know, particularly, you know, you know, war industry yeah. stock that it can it can be something that balances out. Because uh, so I've noticed on average, like those companies, Lockheed Martins, Grumman's, and all that stuff, they turn up in in your average sort of index products, anyways. But uh, I remember looking through and I found a BlackRock product that was just US US defense mm-hmm. companies. So it was it was just like a concentration of all those mm-hmm. those ones there. And, defense. Uh, yeah, as, as opposed to bases everywhere and going into various countries, defense companies. <laughs> it's um, they defended themselves against Iraq in Iraq. They you've defended themselves against Afghanistan. Did you see that Freudian slip of George Bush? He's talking at <laughs> yeah. some seminar and he's like, "The uh, unjust invasion in Iraq. I mean, Ukraine." <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> it's funny. It's yeah, like you you can have some AI stocks to you know because AI might be a thing, and you know you can have some. Military stocks because military might be a mm. thing, and you know maybe maybe antiviral software is a thing and mm. all that. But I mean that you're right, Andre. It's like index. And yeah. They like <laughs> if if they're relevant in some ways, they'll be in the index. Oh, yeah. But, but I, I think I think though um, it makes sense. Like I mean, gold is probably a good example because it doesn't have a high correlation to other asset classes. Gold is the market. Gold market is just tiny compared to you know bond market or stock markets and stuff like that. So you might decide um, that, you know, obviously this is a bit more complicated than I'm going to make it sound, but, you know, if you're trying to minimise your volatility, there might be a, you know, a weighting that is different to the index or, you know, substantially more than the index to particular asset classes that actually smooths things out better. Mm. Um, like, I don't know, obviously a lot of indexes are packed full of, you know, say the S&P 500s, packed full of tech stocks or the ASX 200 is packed full of banks and miners. Mm. Um, so uh, there might be, you know, in a sense it would make more sense to like look at uh, things and how they interact with each other to construct your own portfolio. But I mean, that's yeah. a much more complex chart than yeah. task than just buying an index. Why does someone want to smooth out volatility? Why? Yeah, why? Who cares? Well, you would maybe look at it in terms of risk versus return. So you want to get the maximum return you can get for the minimum amount of risk being, let's take it to be volatility in this case. Yeah. Um, so uh, if, you, if you're able to construct a portfolio with a lower volatility and get similar returns or get a higher return with a similar volatility to the market, then that, that you would think that that would be a uh, – a, a good thing and that's what that's what the fund managers will be saying that's why you should do us instead of an index because we'll try to get a return that's equal to the index with like for us to get the same return as the index we'll have less volatility like that's if they can do that that's a big selling point right like yep or you know on a on a on a like for like basis return versus volatility will outperform the index like that's that's the argument for professional money managers, mm. yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, and or a, 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 one of the major arguments, yeah. Yeah. Um, what are the other ones for professional money managers? 
Oh, well, I mean, you, you might want to – there might be various strategies that are difficult to um, carry out your yourself, like, like you know – Dividend hard harvesting or something? Yeah, yeah, something like dividend harvesting or, or some sort of income strategy with options or something like that or yeah. – Dividend or, harvesting? Or – Yeah, um, an income strategy with options hmm. and then we'll, we'll get to that, yeah. Andre. Um, yeah, so the other strategies that might use instruments that – the average retail investor simply has no access to, yeah, yeah. Um, like futures, um, derivatives, um, that sort of stuff. Yep. Internally yep. geared yep. type. Yep. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, cool. Um, dividend harvesting. Oh, yeah, Andre's gone. Um, <laughs> the, what was I going to say? Um, yeah, the, how easy is it though to, to do that, to get returns mm when you factor in volatility that are better than the index, like that that sounds like it'd be really hard to do. Uh, like yeah. do most money managers actually achieve? But, okay. So do, do the money managers that set out to achieve that yep. achieve it? Okay. So f- first of all, a lot of time fund managers, if they're say they're trying to, uh, you know, invest say in Australian shares, they're trying to, say outperform the ASX 200 so they're actually they're not actually starting from a point of of um, we're just trying to get a our best risk return possible what they're actually looking at is going here's an index and let's underweight this and overweight that and you know try and do a little bit better than the index and you know pay for our fees um, so it might not actually be um, the optimum you know risk return, that they're they're actually looking for, um, you know, I, it, I I don't I don't think it's an easy thing though, which is kind of your point to go. Oh well, if we just pick these particular asset classes, then we can get a um, a a higher return with lower volatility. I don't I don't think that's a, a simple task. Do 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 the fund managers that set out to do it like do the majority achieve it or not? Oh, I would say no. Like I'd yeah. say, like if you look at absolute return managers, they they uh, they do tend to have a lot of difficulty, um, you know, achieving their objectives. Uh, interestingly, as well, um, like that's one of the things that fund managers might try and promote themselves on and achieve, and and they mm. struggle to achieve it. Mm. Um, from what James said, and that 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 rings true with my understanding of how it works too, um, but. At the moment, I actually spoke to someone. She's come into a little bit of money and she was saying, um, you know, I'm not sure what to do with it or whatever. And she, she's a financial advisor, this person. And she's um, like, you know, my inclination is just to keep it in the bank and collect interest, you know, from the bank. And I was like, well, yeah, with these interest rates, like, you know, if you're getting 5% from the bank, like that's pretty hard to say no to. Mm. Um, you're a professional money manager who says I can get um, – uh, a risk-adjusted return of um, 7%, um, you know, in the S&P 500 or, you know, the, the market itself that has a, a return of 8%, I can do it with um, less risk and get 7% but with significantly less volatility. And people are like, oh, that's amazing. And then someone else like, I can give you 5% basically risk-free. <laughs> yeah, like, I find that that's – Like that- if someone said to me, I could get 1% less in the stock market with no risk mm. – um, risk being like risk of losing my money. Yep. I'd take the 1% less with no risk. Yep. Um, risk being volatility, yep. maybe I'm like, well, it's for 10 years. Yep. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll put up with the volatility for 1% return extra per annum because that, that compounds a little bit. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, no, and if you had lower volatility, 
and you're getting a similar but lower return, you might go, oh, well, why don't I just leverage this thing? Yeah, yeah, depending on what the interest rates are. But it's, it's an interesting thing that the, the, this stuff, risk-adjusted return, um, returns with less volatility, you know, a pro rata return with less volatility, all these are really appealing. As interest rates rise – Bonds and money in the bank has to just become more and more appealing. So it is does does make me scratch my head and think, you know, who's buying all these shares? So, so share prices go up. With when when the in the nineties and eighties when the the interest rates were like, you know, fifteen percent or whatever, savings in a bank account were like that as well. Like so, um, like I remember looking at the loan documents for the for for a house that. The dad bought in the eighties, and the the interest rate on that was like fifteen percent mm. or something. Um, so does that mean at the time, like the the interest rate on your like savings account would have been something similar to that? Would you been getting like ten or fifteen percent? Probably probably on like term deposits and things like that. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure about at call um, accounts because my um, yeah. my uh, just like online saving account. The one where you've got to have like a higher balance at the end of the month. You get, it's like oh, yeah. bonus conditions. Yep, yep. But if you meet the bonus conditions at the moment, it's four four and a half percent. Yeah, it's yeah. like that's mad because when I first started it, uh, you know, a, a, maybe five years ago, yeah. it was like you know point two percent. And if you met the bonus conditions, they'd give you like you get a total of like point eight or point nine <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. And um, but it's it's quite rad that four and a half percent. You get like at the end of the month, it's like oh, that's a big chunk of money. Yeah, that it's shows actually, up. actually money but for just up. sitting yeah. there doing nothing, you know. And but um, uh, just bearing in mind that the inflation rate is yeah something like six point eight or something at the moment. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so so you have more dollars but less spending power. Can you hedge against that with lifestyle choices though? Like, can you like avoid the things that are inflating? I guess you can't avoid housing and, and petrol and stuff, but like if you know if you're buying cheaper foods and all that sort of stuff, can, is that a way to sort of stay ahead or like hedge against it? Um, kind of. Like, does that make sense? Like, yeah. It, the only the only thing I'd say about say you were you went. I mean, this is an ex, you know mm. example. Like if yeah. you if you were um, uh, going, oh well, I'll buy this cheaper meat. Mm. It's like, well, hang on. Did the cheaper meat also go up in price? And all that you've done is just lowered your lifestyle because inflation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, but 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 having said that, you know there are, you know, you know there'll be things. Different people buy different things. Yeah. And so, you know, it's perfectly possible that there are things out there that you um, say you wanted you would have previously bought A. Mm. You know, there's A and B. You would have previously bought A, but A went up quite a lot, but B didn't move or whatever. Yeah. Um, but obviously, together that's inflation. Yeah. But. Uh, you know, B might not have moved at all, and you mm. might go, "Well, in, in this situation, I'll buy B because I thought they were just the, yeah. the two things were just as good as each other." So it is, yeah. I guess, it's possible, but it's it, it is difficult when you're talking about uh, you know widespread things like yeah. it's, you know affecting you know a, a lot of foods and a yeah. lot of you know accommodation and you know. Man, I was watching a, a sob story. Uh, cost of living sob story on, and this is not to minimise anyone that's actually mm. struggling, but um, there's a guy on 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 the news. He's like whinging about cost of living, and he's like, "Oh man, I've got to eat chicken tendies because they're ten dollars a kilo, and real chicken breast is eleven dollars, and I've got to have uh, frozen chips because real potatoes are three dollars, and these uh, chips are two dollars fifty a kilo." It's like fucking loser mentality mm. and like basic like poor analysis of the situation is that. I mean, 
you know, chicken breast, you can use that to expand on heaps of stuff. You know, mashed pota- you, potatoes, you do stuff with them, make yeah. a mash or a soup. All of a sudden, you've got like, it's like four or five times the size that it was. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You've, you've gone through your shopping budget um, to show that you can have a very nutritious yeah. diet um, without spending heaps of money. I think that dude just likes tendies. Like, there's nothing wrong with eating chick- you know, chicken yeah. tendies. They're pretty yummy. Like, but- don't, don't blame the economy <laughs> on your tendie addiction. Yeah. Um, the, what was I going to say? Did you talk about dividend harvesting? No, we didn't. Okay, we'll get to that in a second. I was talking to um, – had some in-law kind of people over, not my, my brother's family, Yep. Um, speaking to them and um, talking about how I've heard anecdotal things about people with BMWs driving to like the food banks or whatever to get food um, because of interest rates. You yeah. know, anecdotal. I have no idea if it's true or whatever. And um, yeah, my, my sister-in-law's dad was saying that, you know, that, well, you know, these people, you know, if they need their help, they need their help. Um, and it's like, you know, that's really nice. But I'm like, just personally, um, I do not feel like giving money to a guy who drives a BMW. <laughs> like even if, it's on cre- even if it's on credit and the guy's like, you know, got financial problems, I'm like, my car costs two and a half grand. That guy didn't have to spend that much money on a BMW. I don't want to give that guy my money for this problem, but yeah, he was he was much more sympathetic. Yeah, to the person I was just like I was talking not to having a, it at all. <laughs> I was talking to a friend of mine. He, he's uh, uh, he's um, I guess in in the hospitality industry manages a, a large sort of food production business. Um, he's saying one of his staff there that's on a even below median wage. Hmm. Um, he. Went and got a Tesla, like on on tick. You know that's like probably equivalent to or more than his yearly income. Jeez. And so like, it's just shocking how much they'll let you leverage to get a car. Like, and and but then apparently this this guy's like sort of spouting off all the stuff they probably told him in the showroom. Oh, you won't have to pay for servicing. You won't have to pay for blah blah blah. So it's gonna be heaps cheaper. It's like no, you know what's heaps cheaper? Buying a two and a half thousand dollar Camry, like mm. Andy. You know, like yeah. I had a client contact me and he's like, oh, he said if I ever need money, you know, get, give you a call or whatever. He's like, I want to I get a car for my business, whatever. I'm like, I'm like, oh, how much are you going to spend? He's like, you know, 30 or 40 grand, I think he said. I'm like, are you sure you want to do that? Cars are a massive waste of money. And he's like, yeah, but, you know, for the business, I'm like, yeah, but they're like a real waste of money though, aren't they? I'm like, if you want to do it, I can't like, you know, tell you what to do, but, you know. They are a waste of money. Do you really need to spend it? And then he gets back to me a couple of days later. He's like, "Yeah, no, I'm not going to spend that much money on a car. It's ridiculous." <laughs> I'm like, well, would you? Would <laughs> I lost the business, but I'm like, "Well done, buddy." <laughs> but with um, so in terms of like vehicles for a, a business, would would either of you guys not use a business because someone showed up in a shit vehicle? Uh I I I, I think that's a material question. I think that's I if I see someone like a tradie come up in a shiny new Ute or whatever. I think that gets financially cooked. I'm like, how much extra am I paying for my services? Yeah, for that guy's services mm. to pay for the Ute. Yep. And if I see someone rock up in a functional Ute, yep. that isn't new. Yeah. Um. I uh, they're typically ones who've been around for a while, mm. and they obviously don't care about what their car looks like. Yeah. Um. And I'm I'm maybe this isn't true, but the ones I've dealt with seem to be competent. And maybe they're like, well, my competence means I don't need to drive a shiny car. Mm. But yeah, I, I, I don't find it off-putting. I find um, dealing with them on a one-on-one basis, mm. either off-putting or not. Mm. Um, yeah. But yeah, the shiny- So you don't even think about the vehicle. The, well, yeah, if I see it, 
I often think, am I paying extra for your services to pay for the vehicle? So if anything, it's slightly off-putting. But it's like my friend used to um, play tapes all the time on how to pick up girls. Like it was like in the house, like 24-7. Um, like just constant, like, you know, um, building up your masculine identity, like, like real basic pickup techniques, like, you know, negging where like, you know, treat them mean, keep them keen. All these like, he, he went from like, you know, the really dumb stuff to becoming like highly spiritual and everything in like, you know, if you don't love yourself, you'll never be able to get other people to realize your value. And like, so like, he, he, but it started off like, and he's not a douchebag, but like, you know, he wanted to know how to get girls and just like listen to douchebags, I guess. But um, like in, in one of those things, the thing to get girls was right um you don't have to be good looking you don't have to be anything do all these special things but you need to be reasonably well groomed it's like just being reasonably well groomed is going to be massive in like getting girls so like have your hair cut like get haircuts every now and then um don't wear really sloppy clothes with stains on them or whatever like really basic but as someone who went to uni and um you know i used to have gollywog hair half the time like i wasn't i wasn't well groomed at all as far as that goes i was like oh yeah like i had friends who got girls all the time they always seem to get haircuts regularly so the charlatans and and like with um with with your work vehicle you don't you know my my thing is with that too you just need it to be clean like you can have a 15 year old car and as long as there's not like empty Macca's boxes all through the like front and back seat and like it's, it's been washed, mm. it's probably okay. Mm. So yeah, like, like that, 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 the, what's that military thing as well? Like um, make your bed first thing in the morning. You know, you've achieved something before you've even like, you know, walked out of your bedroom or whatever. Like, you know, th- there might be a, a perception of attitudinal things around someone That's who- a Jordan Peterson thing. Is, 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 clean is, your room. Is, is, you know, clean mm. and a clean car. But it doesn't have to be a new car. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be bloody Tom Cruise or, or Ryan Gosling. And it doesn't have to be an Armani suit. Yeah. It can be just, you know, neat and tidy and, and not super expensive. And, uh, and, and that de- probably presents well mm-hmm. in, in the eyes of most people for whatever the thing is. I mean, I think it depends on the particular, you know, business that you're in. Like, so, say, for instance, if you were, you know, a high-end lawyer um, servicing sort of, you know, big, you know, wealthy clients, yeah. I think you would want to be in a really nice suit and like yeah. expensive suit, have an yeah. expensive car, you know, um, look like you were, you know, they were paying for the, yeah. the, the you know, the top, the top yeah. lawyer. Um, but, you know, yeah, it depends on your client. Oh, to me, it depends on your, you're, it's almost like you want to match your clientele, isn't it? It's mm. like, it's kind of like, you know, if you're, if you're like, your clientele is like working class Joes, you want mm. to look like them. Um, because you know, you don't want to, you don't, you, you want to be them, you know, them coming to you cause you're one of them. Right. Yeah. It, it uh, depends. I mean, not all working class Joe. I guess so. Yeah. I, I want someone who also looks like a working class Joe, but yeah, you, you, you do need to do something <laughs> that appeals to your audience <laughs> for sure. I'm just saying, I don't think a, a, a new car, <laughs> um, is that. And yeah. if you've got a lawyer, <laughs> uh, yes, I think for lawyers dealing with like high money things, they want to <laughs> dress and look like they're part of that club. But if there was a lawyer who is just the best and someone's like, look, this dude's the best. He's, he's known, to, she, she's known to be the best. There you go. They. <laughs> this, this lawyer is known to be the best. Um, just so you know, doesn't wear shoes and wears a T-shirt. But th- that person's the best. 
they're probably going to get the work because they're the best. So like, like Sam Bankman-Fried. So it's like if 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 you're Michael if, Burry, if if your reputation is that good mm. because you're actually good, yep. you could probably wear a garbage bag and you still get the work. It's for everyone who's not brilliant. But that's they, most people. Yeah, yeah. So the average person has to look the part, obviously. Yeah. But um, you know, the, it's 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 giving someone a perception of quality. Whatever that looks like. For me, the new car makes me think, um, you know, maybe maybe I'm paying too much for their services. But, but, but it is- By the people, they might be like, this person's really successful. But, 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 it, but it's, it's a balance between quality and price, right? You, you don't mm. want to be- You want to be getting the right level of, of service from someone. So, like, you don't want to be, like, you know, paying for stuff that you don't want because, you know, um, you want to be- you, you, to me, I'd want to see someone who was, okay, well, um, I'm looking for this balance on, on this particular service or product that I'm getting. I want to get, you know, I, I, you know, I want to get, you know, say, say I want a mid-range thing. I want mm. the person to come out kind of mid-range. Yeah, yeah, fair um, enough, yeah. We, we had a professional colleague who, I was told a story, um, drove up to someone's house and got out of the car and went into there, you know, knocked on the door and the person's like, oh, you drove up in a BMW or whatever and you're supposed to tell me like about managing money properly because it's, you know, I guess this person, cars are a waste of money. And and the our former colleague's response was, would you rather take advice of someone who can afford a BMW or someone who can't afford a BMW? <laughs> <laughs> like if I've got myself in a position to afford this, maybe that means you should listen to me. And, th- and that worked. But yeah, different strokes for different folks, I guess. Mm. It's a reasonable question, though. Yeah, I can't even remember what the question was. <laughs> <laughs> Have um, you talked about dividend, harvest, dividend harvesting yet? No. So, what's dividend harvesting, James? Okay, so uh, it- oh, I've got a good um, a good metaphor, right? You've got a field of of wheat, yeah, yeah, and the stem. Yeah. You don't eat the stem; you just eat the the flower. So you cut the flowers off the top. Is that right? And that's what turns it into to flour and bread, or whatever. So you're harvesting the the seed head, yeah. Yeah, I'm just and and if and, and when you're dividend harvesting, the seed head is the franken credit. So you're you're <laughs> harvesting franken credits, and that's like chopping the seed head off. Because you get the dividend, which is like, you know, whatever, but then there's this thing on top that, that's of value for the dividend harvester. I don't know. I pictured the gladiator walking through the fields and that music. I guess it doesn't work as well. I actually talked about you- that scene yesterday. I was on my bike ride and uh, talked about running, uh, being in Elysium and that I was dead. The chick who sings that is from Dead Can Dance, which is like one of my favorite Is that bands. Lisa Gerard? Lisa Gerard? Yeah, have you say? Yeah, Dead Can Dance, it is such a good band. What, why were you thinking about being in Elysium? Oh, we were uh, me and this my mate. This is setting into a therapy session. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, me and my mate were riding our, our push bikes in, on a road that had a lot of uh, of uh, potholes, and then um, I forgot how it came up, but I was like, oh, maybe we actually hit a pothole ages ago and we we're uh, dead. And, and like, oh, that's right, because we came onto like a really nice scene of like frosty. Uh, the sun was coming up, and the fields were all frosty and stuff like that. We're sitting out the back, sort of country Canberra sort of thing, and. Um, like, oh man, that looks awesome. Yeah, I was like, oh, maybe we're not actually seeing it. Maybe we hit a pothole and we're already dead. Yeah, yeah. right. And uh, and I thought of that. That's like that's like Dead Man or or The Sixth Sense. Mm. Yeah, cool. I, I was thinking just today or yesterday. Um, I, I was cleaning the shed out, or whatever, and was thinking about gold because I knew I was coming on this bloody show. I think. Um, and <laughs> bloody show. <laughs> and was like, I remember when I was in high school, an ounce of dope, like marijuana would cost the same as an ounce of gold. 
And like that was like three hundred something dollars an ounce, right? Um, and now I'm guessing it probably still costs three hundred dollars an ounce. Like I haven't had anything to do with marijuana for like twenty years, but when I was, you know, in my first year of uni. I listened to Pink Floyd and I would, I would um, you know, smoke green tobacco whilst listening to Pink Floyd. So gold now is like, you know, worth 10 times more. I'm guessing if it's still $350 an ounce. Um, so, so there was an interesting thing in that. Because I used to joke, it's worth its weight in gold. Oh, yeah. Man. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, there was a thing in that in Gold We Trust, uh, they did comparison of um, uh, basically, you know, gold price and how many, how many, how many, you know, what is it, Steins at Oktoberfest or whatever? Oh yeah, like that, right. You could get, but but the the uh, gold has maintained its value in Steins, but it was saying that it was um, uh, significantly outperforming iPhones. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or, or, or computer chips from the fifties. <laughs> um, so dividend harvesting is buying companies that are releasing dividends with franking credits, and then. Once you've held them for a certain amount of time, there's a, there's a, there's a, uh, you have to hold um, dividends with franking credits for a certain amount of time to 40, get the 45 franking days. Cre- 45 days to get the um, franking credits from the ATO unless it's the dividend is less than a certain amount of money. I think it's like five thousand dollars or something like that. Yeah, so you have to check that out in Australia. But if you if it's a dividend that's less than five thousand dollars, I think you can get the franking credit without having to hold it for forty five days. Um, Whatever, you have to look into that yourself. Yep. Um, but dividend harvesting is um, basically buying companies for the frank dividends to get the franking credit. You hold the company for the minimum holding time, I guess, or as long as you want to hold it. But the plan is to move on to the next company to then get their dividend and get their franking credits. So it's kind of um thing that in theory works well for people who will get and benefit from franking credits. So I think retirees, pensioners, um, people who don't have to pay any tax um, because then they get their franking credits back. Uh, if if the market stays flat forever, dividend harvesting, like if the stocks just never rise in price ever again and they're always the same price forever, dividend harvesting would be really sweet. But when you get price movements, <clears throat> you might buy the stock and then sell it for less than you paid for it and then buy another stock and sell it for less than you paid for it and so on and so on. It kind of makes sense you sell it for less than you paid for it because they've just released a whole bunch of cash, which means the business is worth less. Um, so there's a risk that you don't actually come out ahead with the dividend harvesting because the stock's downward movement can exceed the dividend harvesting benefits. But all in all, in a normal market, I think there's typically a net benefit to dividend harvesting for the right audience. Is yeah, that so about right? Yeah, yeah. That, that, make, that makes sense. So, so I'd, I'd just say that I guess the, the general audience was, as you've said, uh, people who are looking for more income. Um, and in terms of the – normally when a stock goes ex-dividend, the share price drops by – the dividend amount. The, the, the dividend amount. But with the franking credits, so you have the, the dividend amount and the gross dividend, which is the dividend amount plus the value of the tax credits. So normally the the stock, I, I think, is like historically dropped uh, more than the dividend amount, if you're talking about Australian shares, but less than the dividend amount plus the franking credits. So if you've got a 0% tax rate, then – it can make sense for you to do it, but generally, if you've got a higher tax rate, it doesn't doesn't make 
make sense to do that because the 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 basically the tax that you'll will pay on the on the dividend would be more than uh, would reduce the dividend to an amount that is less than the value that the stock drops when it goes ex dividend. Interestingly, too, like if I'm in a situation where I get all the franking credits from a dividend, say the stock price is $100 for the stock and it pays a $7 dividend, then that's trading at like, um, I don't know, 14 times its, its dividend, right? But because I get the franking credits, I effectively get $10 from that company. So for me, it's trading at 10 times the dividend I receive. Broadly, it's trading at 14 times the $7 dividend. But if I'm a person paying the highest marginal tax rate, then maybe the dividend I get after tax is like, I don't know, $5.50 or something. So it's actually trading at closer to like 18 or, or maybe, you know, 18 to 19 times the dividend. So that dividend has different values for different people based on their tax situation. Because if, if I'm happy to pay 20 times earnings and my earnings are $10, for me that stock's a $200 stock. Mm. And for the person who's getting $5 something, that stock's like a $105 stock. Mm. And for the person who's neutral, whoever that is, then that, that stock's a $140 stock. So it's just an interesting way of thinking about it. Mm. Well, I think a little bit interesting. Mm. Mental exercise. Uh, so this uh, last time we talked to, uh, about the Vanguard and the ESG and, and all that sort of stuff, uh, you sent through a video from Ben Shapiro uh, talking about, uh, I guess, the same sort of context there. Yeah. And I was watching, the, he, he was saying he, he's, he was kind of like, I'm not sure if I, I, I derived the correct uh, information from the video, but basically that that these big investment firms like like Vanguard and BlackRock and stuff like that are the ones that are sort of controlling all of this and dictating it to the market in terms of... Oh, I think yeah. I saw this video too. It was basically saying that a lot of the, um, like the Anheuser-Busch thing or whatever... Um, and and they're like you know promoting LGBTQ blah 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 mm. is to get ESG ticks mm. because you need a certain amount of points to then get cheap credit um, from financiers. Is that right? Yeah. I was talking to my wife about this because she'd never heard of that Dylan Mulvaney dude. All right. And I was like, oh, you know, <laughs> interestingly, blah blah blah. I was telling her about Anheuser Busch and um, you Did know, you the, just the backlash. Dylan Mulvaney. I said, dude. <laughs> It's like saying they. It's like, you know, I call my daughter mate. Didn't you see so. the Kid, Kid Rock video? Yeah. Fuck Ian Hauser Bush. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I, think, I think Dylan Malvaney might have dis- misgendered Dylan Malvaney. <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyway, so I was, I was talking to her about that. Um, oh, I've lost my train of thought now. Um, the, the ESG thing. And I, I was talking about this argument. She's like, why would they do it though? Like, you know, like why would Bud Light – do that like surely that's going to isolate their main audience i'm like what's well, funny you say that because like there's this theory that um it's it's to get esg points and i had to explain to what esg is and and i was like but i don't quite get it though because if you're a company that doesn't need to borrow money mm. then why are you bothering with that for you're not going to kill your um, market just to get cheap credit when you don't even need credit and then i was like but ESG also gets you into certain investment funds yeah, yeah, yeah. and the more you have, um, 
you know, people wanting your stock because there's demand, the more the price goes up. Yeah. And CEOs and the bigwigs in the companies often get paid bonuses based on share price. Mm. And because they're the CEOs and not the shareholders necessarily, or they're going to get their bonus in, in shares or based on share price and they'll just sell it. They don't actually care if they kill the company long-term from doing this. They're getting their bonuses up potentially just by being on the um, the, the the list that you need to be on to, to you know, theoretically get your share price oh, so up. You, so, you basically, you make yourself attractive in an ESG sense. So, a, a Vanguard or a BlackRock will come along and, and purchase you for one of these sustainable- mm. Yeah. It's just more demand for your shares, your company, right? Yeah, right. And you get a bigger bonus. And it's like, if I'm the CEO of Anheuser-Busch, right, and I get a bonus based on share price, and someone says- and let's just say I've got no moral compass, right? Mm. But you know, see, I have a big company, no moral compass, um, and and you get bonuses on the share price, and it's like, all right, the way to get every investment fund manager in the world to buy your shares is to do, I don't know, something that your entire audience finds outrageous. Mm. Well, not your entire audience, but isolate a whole bunch of your audience and, you know, maybe it's even the wrong thing to do or whatever. Um, and I'm like, well, look, I get $100 million and if it takes the company in five years, I don't care. I just want it to go up by May because that's mm. when my bonus date is. So as long as it can go up by May, I'll make $100 million. They can fire me. I don't care. I get paid $10 bucks a year, but I'm going to make $100 million in bonuses. I'll do what it takes. And that's- yeah, because you only need that to happen once and you're set for life, aren't you? Yeah. And you can maybe move on to the next company. Oh, why'd you leave this company? Because um, they they were some sort of ist and they were some sort of phobe. It's not because I deliberately like, you know, put the company at risk just to get my bonus up on an ESG thing because I've got this nefarious plan. I left for moral reasons <laughs> when you're actually the scumbag in the first place. There so is, who knows? There, there is like, if you listen to someone like Mike, Mike Green, he talks about the flows of money into index funds and, mm. and it talks about sort of efficiencies in, in markets as a result of that because basically um, you know a, a you know if you're looking at an active manager if you give an active manager money mm. they'll look at, at at stocks and if they they think things are too expensive they'll hold the money in cash yep uh, whereas that's not how an index fund works an index fund works as you know money came in I need to buy. Yep, and it's just going to buy across the things that are in the index. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is kind of this uh, argument, and you know, like uh, you know, you know, pe- people can you know criticise obviously Ben Shapiro, Daily Wire, mm. conservative network. So they're going to you know uh, have a particular view view on this, mm. but but their the view he seemed to be putting forward is that you know uh, you know to get included in indices uh, and consequently to be bought you need to tick the boxes mm. um, and so it's almost like it's become more important than uh, making profits is actually to be included in the indices yeah um, the thing that's a little bit scary about mm. about this is well if it's true as yeah, well if like it's true, just because yeah, yeah. Ben Shapiro yeah, says yeah, it doesn't make it true yeah absolutely absolutely um, the, the thing that that you know, you kind of go, oh, you know, companies are just interested in in making money and da da da. That kind of sounds bad until you went, until you go, well, hang on, what happens if the companies are actually politically motivated? That's all of a sudden a lot more scary. Yeah. If you if you uh, you know if companies are you know um, uh, 
uh, I guess, like, you know, conspiring yeah. with uh, particular political movements. Um, well, isn't that like that's, – that's like lobbying and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean like- there – you know, you don't want to have – you know, you, in, in some respects, you know, companies just being interested in profits mm. is, um, you know – you know what they're going to do because you know they're going to, all they all they're interested in doing is producing products that people will buy. Um, in the end, that's that's what they're and obviously there can be bad things that they that you know come off of that. But it's it's pretty clear what their motivation does it, is. Does it does it end yeah, up being it, like a big, big bit of chicken and egg though? It's sort of like are they politically motivated for profits or vice versa? Well, uh, the, the the argument that I, I think they been- pretend to be politically motivated for profits. I think they couldn't care less. I think um, if 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 it was Nazi Germany, they'd be um, you know advocating the the death of Jews. Mm. I think I think they'll say what they need for money. But 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 hang on, like I Hugo Boss. The, well, whatever. I just yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't think there's much of a moral backbone at all. I think it's, it's basically just greed and performance. That, that that's true. But there there is a difference between. Um, we are just going to try and sell stuff and, you know, sell to whoever wants it at, you know, whatever price we can get um, and them being sort of uh, politically motivated in, t- in order to make investors buy their stock. Um, that kind of causes a whole lot of issues with, you know, capital markets. It, it causes a whole lot of political issues as well if companies are getting, um, you know, involved in – in politics. I think this is what it will look like, right? You've got CEOs of companies who aren't aligned with shareholder interests, which is not new, yep. right? Um, you have employees in businesses putting their hand in the till and taking money. You have CEOs in businesses um, doing that in, in more complicated ways as well. Mm. Um, you know, screwing the long-term value of the company for them to get bonuses. Even the bonuses they get isn't in shareholders' interest in a lot of cases. So the CEOs use the company to get money for themselves, um, not for the benefit of the shareholders. Already a, an ethical problem, right? Um, you've got CEOs who are in certain social circles. Mm. So they all know each other. Potentially, right? They, you know, CEOs of various businesses, they all hang out, they know each other. They've all got, you know, partners as well in similar social circles. And then all of a sudden, there's this um, idea in your social circle you have to have certain political viewpoints, you have to have certain positions on things. So they take what's in their social circle and then start doing that as a CEO for brownie points within their social circle. You know, why aren't you a CEO of company X doing X, Y, Z about problem A, B, C? And, you know, Larry's doing it and he's a CEO. Like their company's, you know, doing something. Why aren't you doing it? So you start to look like the douchebag at picnics and all that sort of stuff. You don't like that. Um, it's not in the shareholder's interest, but, you know, again, you're you're a CEO who cares about yourself, not the shareholders. So you're trying to look good at the picnics. And all of a sudden you're saying and, and doing all these things that, you know, are, are giving you status in your social circle, even if it doesn't align with your shareholder interests. I think it's more like that. And then And then – Obviously, your social circle probably has a, a certain political way of, you know, or a certain political worldview, a certain political ideology. Mm. Um, you have that yourself mm. and you have now a reinforcing echo chamber where it's not only okay but encouraged to apply your political views to the company that you're supposed to be the, you know, custodian or manager of in the interest of shareholders, but it's just all about you. And I think that's, I think that's what happens. Yeah. 
I mean, I think I think it's a little bit broader than that, but I think that is that is essentially the the point that that um, uh, the company is not being is no longer being run to for for the shareholders for the owners of the company. Yeah. So I mean, interesting the ESG right fails to address if my theory is right. Right, that's a massive failure of corporate governance. Mm. Um, the CEO <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> often controls the board. Who's supposed to control the CEO? Yeah, right. Um, the the board gets um, you know paid or whatever, and the CEO could be keeping their mouth shut about the you know board getting paid all this money for coming up to meetings and doing nothing. Um, the board not actually acting in the interest of shareholders because they just like to turn up, you know, get fifty thousand dollars for having caviar at a meeting, mm. whatever it is. So, like, the, the the fact that you get to situations where um, these companies can do stuff that's so out of line with shareholder interest in the first place, and the things that are supposed to be stopping that, um, the corporate governance isn't actually stopping it, suggests that there's an issue with the governance to begin with, mm. and then you get more of the E and S which might not be in their shareholders' interest because of poor G. Yeah, they get ESG ticks. Mm. That's, yeah, that's it, – because, it, it, yeah, it does – that's a really good point in terms of uh, – I mean, you know, it wouldn't be the first time that – I mean, it's not necessarily government in this case, but, like, you know, you put in a set of rules and you get the exact opposite outcome of what you were trying to achieve because, you know, of the way people behave. Yeah, and yeah. like I, I know a guy who has a business. I'm not going to mention his name. He said he would not hire people who support the Republican Party. We're in Australia, mind you, and he's he, he would not hire people. I'm like, so the U.S. Republican Party. Yeah, yeah. He's like, if people like Donald Trump, yeah. I will not hire them. And I'm like, you know, it's illegal, right? Like that's a gangster employment law. And he's like, it's my business. So I can do what I want. You, you're going to tell me there aren't people who are CEOs who have that same mindset? Who've managed to make it at the top of a business with that with that attitude that you know, I'll 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 do this even if it's you know not right. Mm-hmm. This person thought that, that you know he's the best person in the world, and like was like he he listed four things that he would do. I can't remember all four of them, but he said people shouldn't. Um, what you do outside of work, you should be able to get fired for it. What you're doing in your private time, um, you can get fired for. Um, and I'm like, well, you know, that's – and I think like I think it was, we're talking about the Israel Folau thing or whatever. Um, but anyway, the guy listed like, you know, was, was spouting off all his opinions and I Googled like, you know, human rights, whatever, like UN Convention of Human Rights. Four of the ten he was advocating for breaking and thinking he was the most moral person on the planet. Um, again, you're going to tell me there aren't CEOs? Who, who, you know, have their own thing where they think they're being the greatest people ever and, and they're just completely failing in, in their duties. This guy's a business owner yeah. refusing to hire staff based on their political views. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, it does- it does, does that become like yeah. narcissism because you're like, uh, feel, you're, you're like upholding or like you, you know better than everybody else and you're sort of like being the defender. It's a bit the- dictatorial, isn't it? Yeah. Uh. It's, it's, it's not democratic. <laughs> it, it's like, yeah, I know better than you. I'm going to sort it out. Yeah, it's authoritarian yeah. and, and, and but, anti-democratic. But, but you, do, you do want businesses to, like, to, to me, you'd want the government to set the laws about, you know, environmental standards and, and you, know, uh, you know, tax laws and governance and all that kind of stuff. And then for the companies to just go, okay, well, within this framework, we're going to make as much money as we can. Yeah, but the government set the laws and the governments have lobby groups from those businesses Mm -hmm. saying set the laws. 
So it's like the laws that the government set, are they representative of the democracy or are they representative of the lobby groups that are coming and lobbying with them? And again, the politicians having dinner and all that sort of stuff with the, you know, yeah. people who, who run the businesses. So, you know, and the lobby groups. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. that, that's a that's slightly different. Like, because obviously there's, you know, you have political corruption and you might have various, you know, corruption within businesses and stuff. But but just as a principle, like you would hope that, um, you know, in a democratic society that the, that the you know, the, the government would be, you know, elected by the people and to implement laws in the, people's interest yep. and then within that the framework of capitalism they've so the government's made laws for for how companies are allowed to um operate and within that framework they they operate with a, with a view just to to maximize shareholder value mm. uh, at least that's kind of that seems true. like how it should be yeah um but like there's arguments to say that the businesses lead the government. Like with a, with a whole bunch of this environmental stuff, apparently the businesses are saying like we're sick of, you know, one government coming in, another government coming in and you guys not having any action. Yeah. We know something's going to happen. Mm. We keep on adjusting in anticipation. Mm. This, you know, yeah. we we want you guys to do something. Yep. We just want to know what the bloody thing is. Yeah, yeah. And like does Tesla, like did Tesla lead government or did government lead Tesla? Like, how does Tesla exist? Like, the, the business cre- existed mm. and then that probably enabled a whole bunch of government policy to, to come into being. Mm. Um, the, the whole vibe and buzz around Tesla probably was um, seminal in, in a bunch of environmental policy. Like, with Tesla, will we have half of the environmental policy we have now? Did Elon Musk create... Oh, I'm sure you know, that, that the, for the, instance, with if we hadn't... If Tesla hadn't made a number of technological breakthroughs... Um, and shown that you know we can make make these things work, make electric vehicles work, and and the price is coming down. You wouldn't have had all these reactions of, um, you know, we're going to have by twenty thirty five, you know, no more internal combustion engines mm. or those those kind of policies. I don't think would have come into um, effect without. Yeah, so that's business leading government. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Not setting the policies, but yeah. business leading government. Um, yeah, so it's it's a tension anyway, but yeah. Also, the, the, did did we cover the dudes thing, Shapiro thing, or did we just go off? No, I think, I think no, I think so. I think so. Yeah. Anyway, it's 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 um it's one of these things where I think it's you know it's not necessarily that you watch watch something like that and go oh yeah he's you know this is all right, but mm. it's definitely worth looking at and going that's something I should think about. Is that something that is is occurring? What what's some yeah. different views on this? You know. Mm. Um, Anyway, it was, it was you know I wouldn't normally get my finance stuff from from a political show, but yeah. it just seemed to cover. He does sell uh, gold on there a lot. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Shapiro's yeah, pretty sponsored. It's stereotypical, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know. I'm not a fan of that guy for some reason. Oh well, I mean, he's, well, I, I, hear, I hear what he says, and like sometimes I'm like, oh yeah, but I don't know. It's all in all, I don't know. But but I mean, he's coming from a you know a conservative you know uh, you know I mean hardline's probably a bit too hard, but like you know a a, a conservative point of view and he's, he's not trying sitting there trying to give you a balanced view of the world. Mm. He's, he's trying to give you a conservative point of view. Yeah. And I think it's okay to, to listen to, you know, different views. I don't think there's anything unreasonable that he, that he says, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't base my, you know, world philosophy around yeah. what Ben Shapiro says. As if well. you are looking to base your world philosophy around what somebody says, by the way, guys, um, well, not world philosophy, mm. but, Check out Thomas Sowell, S-O-W-E-L-L. I like that guy. He's, he's good. 
um, yeah, check, check him out if you're, if you're looking for some um, academic, seemingly well-thought-out stuff that might help shape your thinking around He always gets activity. dogged out for uh, – because he's, he's like a Hoover Hoover Institute fellow or something, isn't he? Yeah, well, I think he's a conservative. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, but he always gets dogged out by by, by the radical left. The, the – um, <laughs> They're like for being like a what are the, what's the term Uncle, Uncle Tom? Tom yeah yeah, yeah. It's, uh, sounds like a racist term to me Uncle Tom but what would I know about this sort of <laughs> stuff? Um, yeah anyway but he, he's he's I think he's worth listening to he's he's got some really good quotes um, as well so yeah. but a good good um I think I think he said he started off as a socialist um, mm-hmm. at uni and then just learnt better and and I think I said as well like you know as 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 a first year uni student you're always going to be a bit socialist leaning until I haven't studied Marxism at uni. I think, did I tell you this? The reading was like 500 pages a week. And I'm like, if you've got to read 500 pages a week to be convinced, the argument can't be that convincing. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. So uh, I didn't read the 500 pages, but I did drink beer. <laughs> mm. I, read, I, 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 I can't remember if I um Yeah. So there's a quote from AJP Taylor, who's a famous historian, but he, he again, sort of he was uh, involved in, I think he's even involved in helping the the – the Spanish communists and and but also like British <coughs> communists uh, in the nineteen thirties. Yeah. Um, but he he basically had this quote as you know I always tried to be a, a good communist but reality just kept on getting in the way. So, <laughs> so but like just yeah there was uh, you know a, a certain like you know there's there's sort of interesting uh, or, or you know compelling ide- ideology mm. but but it's just not. Like, what, what's this? Another quote. It, it's basically communism, um, great philosophy, wrong species. Basically, <laughs> but, but 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 like but you know, communism obviously works for effectively. Mm. Obviously, it's not an ideology, but for ants and bees and you know mm. those those kind of uh, animals where you know they're, they're I guess like very very. From the same mm. genetics, yeah. same thing with families. Like, yeah. say, human families, communism works perfectly well. Like, yeah, it's an yeah. interesting thing because in a human family, because that does seem to be like a nice little, like you know, microcosm of communism, mm. right? I think you've you've brought you've brought this analogy before. But it's a dictatorship. There's only there's a dictator in the family. Mm. So it might be communist, but there's a dictator. But, but, but <laughs> is, is it, it is a little bit. Um, and my wife doesn't like being called a dictator. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do? Have some uh, some revolution? But, uh, but yeah, like it's yeah. It's I, a- I, I I think I'm the boss, but only I'm saying that because I know she doesn't listen to the show. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have to retract, otherwise, would you? No, well, I, th- I think I think ultimately, you know, we're a partnership. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I think ultimately, I guess I'd be the decision maker. Mm. But her needs outweigh mine mm-hmm. when decision making happens. I think, and, and you know, obviously, you're you're making interest like decisions in uh, the interest of the of the family. Like decisions are not made on a on a, like it's not an individual family. Yeah. Don't work on an individual. I make. Yeah. Uh, but the point is, it's a dictatorship. Like the it's a communist dictatorship. I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and like, it kind of works. <laughs> what have, what have no, I done? Have I just made it, everyone communist? It probably comes down to say, like an evolutionary thing, where if you haven't even clo- closely, like, uh, in, like, uh, common genetic interest, mm. like, and that that seems to be the case with things like ants and bees and stuff like that. They're all kind of from the one queen or whatever, and so 
um, effectively they they can work together because one ant is the same as another ant or, you know, so closely related to another ant that, that, that it is actually in their best interest that it doesn't matter if they die, if they, you know, went and got some food and another ant lived, you know. Mm. Interestingly with that, um, my son today was like, Dad, if you had to choose one of us that I, me or you, who would it be? And I'm like, me. And he's like, really? I said, me. And I'm like, does that surprise? And he's like, yes. And then like, you know, I kept on doing the work. I was doing whatever because I was busy. Um, and then I'm like, maybe you'll become a father one day and you'll understand it or whatever. And then like, he's only little. And then I walk past again. He's like, I think I understand it now. You care more about me and you want to keep me safe. And that's why. And I'm like, yeah. Um, Is this your, your toddler son or your preteen the, son? The middle one. Yeah. He's like eight. Yeah. Um, but- I don't think if Joseph Stalin was asked that question by one of the, um, you know, yeah. whatever they're called, plebs, they're not plebs, but you know, what are they called? The, 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 one of his comrades, but then there's a dictatorship of the pro- pro- proletariat. Pro- proletariat. So is it one of the proles asking yeah. him? I don't know, but yeah, I don't think Stalin sacrificing himself for one of his fellows. So no, no. maybe that's the difference between my communism and the household. And- yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, well, I think, I think, I think, you know, that get gets back to the, you know, um, you know great theory wrong species thing is, yeah. is that obviously that that um the you know the le- you know the the leaders in these these you know you know communist dictatorship have their own interests above um the people yeah yeah it's it's, it's yes yeah. i mean self-preservation um outside your own family group is is probably a pretty defining characteristic of of us as a species Mm. And, and promotion of family interest um, over external interest is, you know, nepotism, mm. all that mm. sort of stuff. Yeah. Cool. Mm. Next. Uh, so I was hoping uh, to uh, – or at two hours now. So either we can wrap up or we can talk about tax planning. Uh, let's talk about tax oh, – no, whatever. What do you want to do, James? you want to keep talking? I'm happy to keep talking. Cool. Do you want to d- – d- yeah. Fine. Yeah, I, so I was going to have a nap before the tennis, but I don't know <laughs> if I will get the chance to have a nap before the tennis. So uh, uh, James has just run off to the dunny there, but I will get started. So Dunny means toilet in Australian. <laughs> Lavatory. Um, so yeah, tax planning. So being a, 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 part, a, a part owner in a business for the first time uh, at the end of a financial year um, and having a having the profits distributed through a family trust or a discretionary trust in Australia. Um, the concept of tax planning has been, uh, I've had to engage in it for the first time ever. And, um, and it got me thinking in, in terms of, you know, through a discretionary trust. So basically it's like this, uh, well, yeah, I mean, I guess the thing is, um, with tax planning, mm. You can't plan your taxes in a way to dodge taxes. Yep. So there has to be intention that kind of leads the tax planning that isn't just about let's let's dodge taxes. So yeah. like a lot of um people will use trust structures to protect their assets, for example. Yep. Um and asset protection will be the reason they get a trust. Yeah. And as as a, a thing that occurs within a trust. So when you say asset protection, yeah. So um, I'm I'm a surgeon. Yeah. 
right? Um, I, I do something that's, that's risk of me getting the shit suit out of me, yep. right? Um, I don't want to lose my house ah, yeah, for yeah. my best intentions but yes. my mistake. Yep. So I have a whole bunch of assets in a trust to protect those assets. Yeah, okay. So you're so even if you're personally liable for something, that yeah. stuff's in the trust. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And it's 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 not mine. Or like, you know, I might um I might have inherited money mm. or bid you to inherit money. Yeah. And I've got a, a partner who, you know, seems like they might be um, someone who doesn't like me that much mm-hmm. but I'm infatuated with that person and my family's worried that person's going to marry me and divorce me a couple of years later yep. and take half my stuff. Yep. So the family's like, you know, Andrew's too much of a romantic, mm. you know, he, he's so trusting with his golden heart and all that sort of stuff. Um, so sorry, I guess I could- We're sure. going to put the inheritance in a trust because yep. we can't trust him. <laughs> yeah. That's so I protection. should have reframed my question. I guess, yeah, the- but, but but with that said, once you've got the structures that make sense for your entities, yeah, then there is a tax planning side of it because mm. the trust will do distributions mm. to the beneficiaries and yeah. and will often distribute to the beneficiaries in the in the lowest um, tax brackets yeah. and stuff like that. So if it's a discretionary, trust. yeah, if it's a discretionary trust because it's at the discretion of the trustee, um, or you know, in a family trust, it might go to the ones who who need it. Yeah, the most like maybe you know the the people who set it up say we the focus of this is really education for the grandkids. Mm. So um, you know when that when there's earnings in the trust, we'll we'll stream that um, to the people who pay the least tax. Yep. But then that then goes to kids' education, and that, yes. that that's the way to manage the kids' education because the kids are on a high tax rate once they earn over four hundred and nineteen dollars or whatever yeah. it is in Australia. So, yeah, you've got the entities, companies, partnerships, all that sort of stuff. And there's often um, a reason outside of the tax side. Mm. But then once you've got those entities, you you, you know, th- there will be planning around how to do that efficiently from a tax perspective. Yeah. And what, what I was – one thing I was thinking about is like can you – would you be able to get your regular salary paid into a trust and distribute from there? No. Is the is the answer? Yeah. Um, because so say say you you might be running a business. Yep. Um, and uh, you you can run a business through a trust. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a thing called personal services income, mm-hmm. and and so basically personal services income can't be you know basically distributed discretionarily. So, um, you can't say uh, be running a business and you have you know a wife who doesn't work and a couple of adult kids or whatever mm. and then go and distribute the the your work income over you know four or five people mm. um you've got a because it's personal in in the case where it is personal services income it's got to go end up going through um to the the earner mm. effectively um obviously like uh we're not experts in any of yeah, this. Yeah, so, yeah. so this is just uh, sort of a general- Just for entertainment general. purposes. Yeah, this is <laughs> <laughs> purely entertainment purposes. Um, so, um, yeah, but th- so there are rules around around that. It, mm. I, I mean, in, in some ways it's quite quite weird in that if you've got a whole lot of money uh, in investments and they're all passive, mm. gen- generally that would be able to be distributed to who whoever it is. Mm. But say you're like- Joe and you just run a, a business and you got a trust. It's like yeah. you got no discretion. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. Al- it's almost like the system helps the rich stay rich <laughs> or something. Mm. Uh, oh, I was gonna say something, I forgot it though. Um, yeah, there's lots of um, like things where people will try to like not earn money. 
yep. and, and, and distribute it in, in these various ways to even it out um, mm. in, you know, the well, family unit and, and you know, other, other basically family unit, I think. It's interesting though because like we, we have a, a problem with um, population apparently, like, you know, we're not reproducing enough or whatever yeah. in a whole bunch of countries. Um, I don't know what they're like, but I remember like, you know, my wife's pregnant and there's only one income really. It's like, imagine you got a woman who's pregnant and stops work to look after a kid, which is, you know, a societal benefit, a kid who's had parents paying attention to them and giving them love. I think that produces, you know, better adults. Um, so the, you know, the man in this particular case, it's more common this would happen anyway, um, works, right? Let's say he gets a second job mm. and he bumps up his, you know, income. The he, he's, he's, he was earning 75 and the wife was earning 75. So they're both earning 75 grand a year each. Um, they're paying $15,000 a year tax each. So the household was making $120,000 post-tax, mm-hmm. right? <clears throat> um, in the new scenario, the household income is $150,000, but the man's earning all of it. He's taken on a second job. He's working 80 hours a week now. Mm. Um, but because he's earning 150 grand a year, his tax rate is a lot higher. Yep. So post-tax the take-home income has gone from 120 uh, to 90 mm-hmm. or 85. Yeah. So like the household income's the same, but because it's all being done by one person, yeah. the household has heaps less money after tax. Mm. That seems to be a problem in our tax law, that the family unit isn't taken as a, a unit for tax purposes. There might be lots of wonderful reasons, but it's, it's been a thing that as someone who's, you know, got a young family. But the trust I've, doesn't serve that purpose, like a discretionary not every, not family every, trust? Well, well, you need assets within the trust. Mm. And if you're just like, you know, normal people mm. and you're working, you can't say, oh, my trust employs me to to do this job or whatever. Like, you know, I work I work at, um, I don't know, I'm a, I'm a nurse. Mm. Uh, um my my trust employs me to be a nurse at the hospital. Like you can't do that. Yeah. And then distribute it that way. Mm. Um, you know, people who are employees mm. don't have the luxury of attempting to, you know, use use a trust in that purpose. It's yeah. just not even an option for them. So like there's there, there it seems to me there are things where people with a more sophisticated knowledge of tax and tax law have access to things that the average person doesn't. Yep, and even who are employees versus non-employees and stuff like that. Like, there's obviously like nothing's perfect, but I find that very problematic. Mm. That you know, one one person works and the other person stops working. One person earns more money, mm. but their household is 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 financially worse off because of tax. That that's definitely a an argument that I guess like the conservative side of politics has had and and lost in that they um, see that there's a uh, an issue with um, traditional families uh, being overly, overly taxed. So, for instance, in that example, um, if you have a um, a specialist worker and a specialist homemaker, mm. uh, you're going to pay more tax than if you have two people, um, you know, doing half the tasks each. Yes. essentially, um, and you can you know you can argue. Kind of, oh, you know, maybe gender equality. We should, you know, we should have people doing half the job. But it's not actually. Uh, some people have jobs, like say, for instance, someone running a business can't let his 
wife run the business half the time. You know, yep. like they, they in that situation, it's a little bit uh, of a problem where uh, you can't you can't actually. It's difficult to split the tasks, and it's actually might be more efficient to. Um, you know, to specialise mm. uh, because obviously the guy's running a business. Maybe his business is much more profitable than than you know. If he was to cut down half the work, the business wouldn't really work. Um, yeah. Or you know, maybe the wife's profession is something she likes doing, but mm. but but it's like doesn't pay anywhere near as much. Um, you know, or you could reverse the genders, but generally, as any saying, sexes, sexes. <laughs> um, <laughs> How uh, dare you! <laughs> Um, so yeah, it is, it is a little bit of a complicated, I mean, there is sort of this conservative argument that, that the, the value of, um, a, of, of, you know, women's work is valuable, but it's devalued by society because, um, I'm talking inverted commas, women's work, yeah. traditionally yep. women's work done by women would be probably a better, better way of putting it because say, for instance, we do give away things like or we make childcare very cheap or free mm. um, or, you know, almost free for, you know, depending on how much people earn, et cetera. Mm. Um, a lot of the services um, that a traditional, um, you know, that are inverted commas traditionally female are kind of undercut by the state. Yep. Um, so if you had a situation where there was less tax collected – um, and it would could be distributed evenly between partners, irrespective of where the the money came from. Mm. Um, a traditional family would uh, be financially better off than a situation where you know you heavily tax one income earner, yeah. And then you give the childcare away for for a very cheap amount through the state, yeah. Uh, because that's obviously a very valuable service, yeah. Um, you know, a family would save a lot of money mm. if they if they didn't subsidise childcare. Mm. A traditional family having a stay at home, you know, parent parent yeah. um, would be uh, providing a very monetarily valuable service for that for that family. If that makes sense, yeah. And also, yeah. like I don't know, this is speculation. I've I don't have kids, so I, mm. I can't say shit. But um, I'd imagine that on average you'd get more meaningful outcomes. From actually being with your kids and and putting as much time into them as you can, as opposed to them going in daycare where you're getting your head kicked in at work. Well, there's 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 research that suggests that um, eye contact with the mother in particular yeah. in the early ages of childhood um, does something to the brain that makes the child less likely to be an addict of any sort as an adult. Um, something about maybe dopamine. I never looked at my mum. Dopamine release and eye contact. It's it's a thing like with um, parents addicted to phones and looking at phones all the time, not making enough eye contact with their kids. Um, wow. This theory that it might lead to um, addiction in in yeah. adult life. Um, so that, that that that's one thing. The other thing is um, from a like feminist perspective, right? My wife. Not in this particular case, but let's just go with my wife for this. You know, someone's wife. Yeah. yeah. Um. In 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 the story. Um, working in a job, mm. right? Um, you know, finish uni, or whatever. Um, on a certain career path, has a reset. Mm. You know, gets pregnant, has a kid, decides that in that break, that's not the right career path for them. Mm. They would like to go on a different career path where they think they'd be happier and more productive, and even better mm. at their job, right? So they want to change 
trajectory. Let's just say all of a sudden wants to become a midwife because you know you've had kids, mm. so now you're interested in that whole process. Um, but she can't mm. because I'm working and earning more money, mm. and I'm getting tax more from a household perspective, and because of the financial strain that's put on us. Mm whilst also paying a mortgage and all that sort of stuff because we're homemakers. So we're the poorest we've ever been, typically when we've got a young family. We can't afford for her to study midwife, midwifery or whatever. She's got to go back to that job she was in before where she's had a complete change of heart and reevaluation of where she wants to go in life because she's had life-changing events. But she's stuck now. That's not a good economic thing and it's certainly not a good thing for feminism. Well, well to, to me the big thing is that um – you should be prov- allowing people to choose. So, like the the, the government shouldn't be um, deciding the structure of who works in a family. To me, is the is the, is the kind of the yeah. the issue um, and, and what the tasks are being are, are done by. So, and you know who's who's doing what tasks. So, mm. you know, I think there's you know, you know, I think you know, women should have careers and they should do what they would like to yeah. do and find a. You know, you sh- as a man or as a woman, mm. you should find a partner who's filling the gap that you're. You know, if you if you yeah. want to do what well, doesn't uh, I, I guess it doesn't necessarily have to be the 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 mum that stays at home. No, no. I mean, because I like I know I've I know uh, a couple of mm. uh, quite uh, not quite a few, but two couples that that are where the 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 woman is the breadwinner and and one where the the yep. the the male is like the fully stay at home, yep. look after. All, all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I tried to be a stay-at-home dad. I thought I'd be the sweetest gig in the world. And I was like, no, nah, not doing this. <laughs> Way too much. How work. long did that last? I don't know. Not- it's like an hour and a half or something. 10.30, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> get me out of here. Pretty much, yeah. Um, oh, that's the other thing, right? Um, house prices, Sorry. in theory, or you know, seem to somewhat reflect the borrowing capacity of the purchaser of the house, right? So the higher the household income, mm. the higher the borrowing capacity, mm. And then higher house price, right? So let's just say, and maybe I need to look into this properly, but let's just say houses were three times household income in the 50s and they're five and a half times household income now, right? Household income in the 50s, and this is if these assumptions are correct, they might not be. Household income in the 50s was basically the man's income, right? So it's three times one person's income in the 50s. Now- because you often have the woman going back to work with the kids in daycare and all that sort of stuff. Household income is husband and wife, maybe wife's earning, you know, not full-time wages, but, you know, still doing it. And house prices are five and a half times that. So we have a situation now where house prices cost five and a half times nearly two full-time hour equivalent. And you've still got a whole bunch of responsibilities for looking after the kids. Like daycare only does so much, right? And there's a lot of research to say that when they look at the hours put in by someone in a household, women actually do like 15 or 20 hours more work in a week than men. That's um, the work that's a job and you get paid for it versus all the household stuff as well. They're like, there's some statistic. I'm going to contradict that, you. That in the Western world, it's like, like 15 to 20 hours more on average mm. the women do when you add up all the household stuff they do as well. So you're going to contradict me. You contradict me. That's fine. But again, like looking, looking at this thing where um, the tax law 
somewhat disincentivizes one person being the earner um, in a couple. You can see things where the woman can't retrain potentially because of financial pressure, um, potentially has to go to work, plus still carrying a whole bunch of the traditional things that women do. Um, I, I, from anecdotal experience, find men to be less um, rigorous with their standard of cleanliness and clutter in a house, for example, and dietary things like cooking healthy meals and all that sort of stuff. So that often if someone wants the job to be done properly, they'll end up having to do it themselves. Often it's it's the woman who will make the job done properly, which means more work for the woman. So I think a lot of this stuff does not help women. Yeah. Um, and and you're going to disagree with my statistics? Oh, just, just in terms of – because the uh, – I think it's the Workplace Gender Equality Agency um, has data on uh, total hours worked, paid and unpaid, and it's basically the same number for, for men and women. This organisation's international or Australian? No, this is Australian. Australian. Okay. It's basically a, a, a – you know, it, it is, you know, in fact one of those um, – uh, like I guess like inverted commas feminist type uh, viewpoints, but some of the data that they have is basically that the total number of hours worked um, paid plus unpaid um, is the same between men and women. It's just not the same. Like so uh, men tend to do more paid work and women tend to do more unpaid work. Yeah. Um, is, this, is this in families with – a woman and a man and children. Yes. Or is this just across the board statistically? I, I it, the the data does include childcare, so uh, I'm not sure. But is it is it looking at like families, or is it looking at just men and women broadly across Australia? Like, what's the data set? Oh, I'd have to look at that exactly, but it does include um, everything from childcare to so. So I, know, I understand what you're saying. You're saying that that it doesn't include families without children. Because um, if it and, does, I think and, that skews what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, the the only the only area that they found that, or the the area that they showed that the women were doing more work than than men um, was where there was like basically specialist tasks that. Women are either like cooking and washing the dishes. <laughs> no, uh, physically able to How do. How dare you? <laughs> women are physically able to do, but men are not able to do. For instance, if you are, if you've got, so like finding stuff in the cupboard. <laughs> <laughs> um, for for instance, if you're if you've got things like uh, newborn child and uh, breastfeeding, and so there were like so. Uh, you know, females were doing more work mm. um, when with a newborn child in total compared to um, the you know the household. But a lot of that is because they're getting up in the middle of the night to you know to yeah you know feed children, feed, mm. feed babies, and stuff yeah. like that. But but overall, it's it's it was it's very very in the Australian study that you've looked at. Yes, yeah. yes, which is it's a government study, it's contrary and, to the and, and thing from, I read, and it's from that was a, international. I mean, this is from a, um, you know, it's a, it's the Gender Equality Agency, so it's, it is kind of like a feminist type. You'd think, if anything, they'd yeah. be saying it's harder for women. Yes, yes. If they had an yeah. agenda, and 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 they 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 are in a sense, um, but they're saying that you know women do a lot more of the unpaid hours. Mm. Mm. Yep. Mm. Cool. So sorry, tax planning. I think we discussed. Okay. That. 
enough. Yeah, were you saying as a business, as a? Oh yeah, no. I'll just uh, that. that oh, I guess the the main question I had was that one about the getting your regular salary paid into a trust because I wasn't sure of the technicalities of. It. I mean, because it seems like an effective thing to do, and I thought that was actually quite a good good uh, discussion. That, that, that led on to that. Uh, that that kind of thing though is when you want to sit down and have a a, a talk with your accountant. Yep. Um, about you know the right structuring for you know your ambitions and um, then the tax planning around that. So, yeah. 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 Which yeah. is because you can't you can't go into these things to dodge taxes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But as an amazing coincidence, some of these things allow you to do stuff with taxes that looks like a tax dodge. Mm. And, and they are tightening uh, them up. Like say, say for instance, with the discretionary trust distributions, they, there's a newish law to do with um, making sure that, you know, say you've got a family and uh, children, mm. um, uh, say adult children, you know, you're distributing money to the children. That there's you got to show that it like doesn't come back to you or something. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, I was um my the uh, the accountant that was that I was talking to was saying that that, cool. that was a thing like you really got to um yeah show that it yeah one way or another's not not getting back to you yeah yeah so, so like if they're spending it on their you know fees for for uni or whatever yeah. it is then then you know that's that's okay but then yeah you can't be can't be too and maybe they're paying some board or something like that but they can't be paying like you know. Mm. Four hundred dollars a week to live in there, yeah, yeah, or whatever. But um, and again, this is outside of our you know, yeah. our area of you know, that's yeah. an accountancy type question. And would 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 were small children always like high tax bracket? Because like I was there, because I was, um, because uh, yeah, a children under eighteen, it's it's you can give them like five hundred bucks, and then after that, it's like fifty percent tax. Yeah, bracket so four hundred and sixteen, and then there's yeah. there's some tax offsets. Yeah. Uh, like was it always like that? Just so people can't just pump uh, yeah, it's, it's money been, into their it, kids. It was made that way so yeah. that, that that couldn't be done. There, there are examples. If they, if they changed it, I reckon the orphanages would get cleaned out real quick <laughs> by a whole bunch of rich you. people. <laughs> there are exemptions to that. So adult tax rates can apply in situations like, so say uh, a child has received um, uh, an inheritance from a, mm. from someone passing on. So Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah. But oh, so so when you do get an inheritance like that, does that is that like a capital gain, or do you, is it like so you just get the, the whole amount? Or you, you can have things called testamentary trusts, yeah. which is part of your will and testament, and it's money to be, you know, given to you know someone mm. when you die, and if that goes to a, a, a kid, yep, um, then in that testamentary trust situation, as far as I understand, you'll need to check it out yourself. That kid is taxed at the adult rate. Um, I think up until age 18, but if they are studying, then up until age 25, I think. Well, yeah. But once they, they get to, in a testamentary, well, once they get to at, be an adult, then they'll get adult rates anyway. Yeah. But I, I think oh, yeah. you're confusing uh, with the superannuation rules where there's- where Yeah, there's, probably. Probably. Help like me. Something Help do, me, James. <laughs> it's to do with, um, uh, you know, if the child is receiving a, a death benefit pension mm. um, and- no, yeah, no. I don't think I'm. I don't think I'm confusing it with that. But explain that one. Okay, it's. Oh, I should know this off the top of my head, but it's something something along the lines of they can't uh, receive a death benefit pension if they're already an adult when they start receiving it. But if they do, they it's got to be converted to a lump sum age twenty five or something like that. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I. I don't know. Ask your accountant. 
Yeah. Cool. Right, cool. Well, we might wrap it up there for the week, guys. Yeah. Just think- like to say, I'm going for Djokovic tonight. Oh, yeah. And if he wins, I think that should end the argument, which is a non-argument to me. Have you been reading the Australian? Over whether he's the greatest tennis player of all time. Have you been reading the Australian? No, but- I saw a thumbnail that said- Djokovic can end the goat debate tonight. It's, it's already ended anyway. It's it's pretty basic, right? Because um, I I um have a in law who doesn't like Djokovic, um, and insists Federer is better or whatever. And it's like, all right, if you had to have pick a tennis player to play for you, and if they lose, you get killed, right? So if the tennis player loses <laughs> the match, you're dead. Are you really going to pick Federer over Djokovic when your life's on the line? Or is it just that you don't like Djokovic very much? But anyway, Djokovic beats these guys one-on-one. Like head-to-head, Djokovic beats these guys. And he's got equally the most grand slams. So he's already the GOAT, but hopefully this, you know, just shuts people up. With that said, I was watching Alcaraz, this 20-year-old dude, play Djokovic in the semifinals. Mm. That guy is phenomenal. I've never seen him play before. He looks like he was better than Djokovic. And it's this weird thing, right? You had Djokovic, Nadal, and Federer, mm. and no one else came close to them. Mm. Three of the, three people who, you know, are in this argument over the best tennis player of all time, just dominating the last 20 years. There's this 20-year-old now, Alcaraz, who looks like he's better than the GOAT, right? GOAT, greatest of all time, for people who don't know that. Mm. And he's 20. If, if he dominates for the next 20 years like those guys did, they had to share some of that dominance. He might just have the whole dominance for 20 years if he stays like he is now. There'll probably be some other superstar kid that comes up. But anyway, so Alcaraz might be the GOAT for all we know. But at this stage, it's Federer. I I just like the fact that uh, given the controversies that Djokovic has been in, that his name's Novak's. Yeah, Novak. Well, actually, I um, I had to, had to, I couldn't quite get it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I had this thing when it was happening in Australia. The whole um, like you know, him um, getting um, you know, persecuted for not being vaccinated and all that sort of stuff. And it was like I did this whole like analysis comparing him with like Jesus being persecuted, and I'm like you know, he's like dying for our sins and all that sort of stuff. Like I did, uh, I did um, literature at university, so like you know, just came up with this like you know, kind of like wankery essay in my head um, finding analogies in the Jesus story with Djokovic and um, yeah he's a sacrificial lamb and all this sort of stuff I quite enjoyed it and I was you know there was stuff I believed in it too Mm. I I didn't care for Djokovic until that and it made me a Djokovic fan (laughs) so there you go so I'm a fan of Djokovic because of the Australian government (laughs) you know who I've become a fan of speaking of hi-fis the last couple of weeks I've been listening to Kenny G the, the saxophone player. Yeah. Check it out, man, if, with all your new equipment and stuff like that, particularly his albums from like the early 90s, off the charts, if you want to test out how nice your stereo can sound. I was listening, like I was watching Cobra Kai yeah. and there's a scene where he's driving in the car with like the, the Mexican kid. He's not Mexican, but whatever, you know. Miguel. Yeah, Miguel. Yeah, Miguel's driving in the car. I think it's with um, Daniel Sun, mm. and they're listening to Kenny G and some other music. Oh, really? And I was like, and I'm like, man, this music's nice. But yeah. I, 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 um, I didn't like make notes of who the musicians were, so I'd have yeah. to find that scene again. Yeah. Have you mm. seen Cobra Kai? No. Did you watch Karate Kid when you were younger? Yes. Oh, the, Cobra- fir- the first two seasons are really good for nostalgia, and it kind of because <laughs> I was I was like a mad Karate Kid fan. Uh, uh, like I guess the first two or three movies, but uh, yeah, and the, like the first, I think two or three seasons are really 
like get the nostalgia like exploding. You're like, holy shit, this is so good. But I loved it. it. But then it's like I found the fight scenes are just like fucking watching Power Rangers or something. Like, it's, it's <laughs> I just like the idea of um, Johnny Lawrence being the good guy and, and Daniel yeah. being the bad guy. There's yeah. this thing on YouTube. Have you seen that YouTube analysis about Karate Kid? Where it's How like- Daniel Sun's actually the asshole. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Yeah. Cool. All right. Cool. All See right. you, Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye. Disclaimer. The information discussed on this podcast is for general information only. It should not be taken as constituting professional advice from Andy, James, Tavon Andre or any guest they may speak with. We are not your financial advisors. You should consider seeking independent legal, financial, taxation or other advice to check how the information discussed on this podcast relates to your unique circumstances. We are not liable for any loss caused, whether due to negligence or otherwise arising from the use of, or reliance on, the information discussed directly or indirectly on Andy, James, Pavan and Andre Talk Money Stuff. Music by Grand Projects and R.E.D. Productions from Pixabay. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode.